0: Hi, everybody. Sorry for the delay here tonight. I was experiencing some technical difficulties here. Um, we uh, So I, I my problem is, of course, as you know, I normally have my class slides and my game screen open side by side, and my game screen just absolutely will not... Uh, uh, obey. <laughs> well, it's not cooperating tonight. It is uh, insisting on only showing up either as uh, uh, a tiny, tiny screen about, you know, a tiny window about the size, a little bit smaller than a postcard or um, a full screen, which means it would take multiple steps for me to switch back and forth in between them. So I was trying to solve that problem for a while i've now given up trying to solve that problem so what i'm gonna have to do um is uh um, I'm going to have to. I'm just going to have to stay out of the game until it's field trip time, and then I'll enter the game at that point. So uh, it'll take me a couple minutes to kind of boot up uh, at that point. So, folks in Gladden, don't worry. <laughs> Narnian won't be there during class, but he'll show up right after class, and we'll do our field trip as normal. So, and I'm just going to have to run with only my slides here tonight. So, thank you for your patience. Uh, that is my. Uh, that is my, my explanation here uh, at tonight's frustrations. So, okay. Um, yeah, Tony, we are finally going to reach the end of this long, no good, very bad day for the Hobbits. My goal is to finish Chapter 10 tonight. Chapter 10, that's what we're doing. Um, we are uh, uh, we're totally going to finish. Chapter 10 (laughs) tonight. Uh, So, uh, but first, uh, let me do a couple quick announcements. Uh, And first, I just, uh, my my apologies again for having to miss uh, last week. Uh, One of my kids was sick, as you probably uh, saw, and uh, I end up spending time not only taking care of my kid, but also cleaning out my wife's car. Uh, uh, If you have kids, you probably know what I'm talking about. If not, you really, really. Don't want to know. Uh, anyway, so it's all good. Um, uh, so yeah, we're gonna um, uh, we're gonna. Uh, uh, Pontine gives me a forty percent chance that we'll finish chapter ten. That's fairly generous, Pontine. I think we're gonna make it. I think we're gonna make it. But as I say, first. Uh, some announcements because we got some pretty exciting stuff coming up here. The first thing I wanted to remind you about, I've mentioned this before, it happened last year, but I want to bring it up again uh, because it's really exciting. And that is our Signum Academy summer camp programs. You may remember the Hobbit camp that we ran last year for middle school kids. We're doing more kids camps this year uh, by popular demand. So we're doing our Hobbit camp, Again, uh, but we're also doing our Harry Potter camp, our Narnia camp and uh, Madeline Lengel camp, Wrinkle and Time camp. Um, so that is um, um, uh, that's that's it's going to be great. You can see the dates. They're kind of spread out so that people can do multiple camps. Uh, uh, kids can be involved in multiple camps over the course of the summer. These camps are completely free. They're each one two-week camps, uh, and how they work uh, is they're designed to be a sort of a hybrid experience. Every day for two weeks, so you know uh, Monday through Friday for two weeks, we have an online uh, large group session where everybody can uh, uh, can can uh, uh, be involved. We have a, a, a primary lecturer, uh, several of whom are our. Um, uh, Signum University master students uh, who uh, have uh, 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 teaching experience uh, at the uh, at the K through twelve level and we're really excited to go through uh, these books with uh, uh, with our batches of campers this summer so and so the kids will get a chance to ask questions live and 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 talk about the books in the, in that kind of a big group online environment um, but then also we are have been preparing uh, these uh, these really fun detailed activity packets that uh, people can take, and you can get, be getting together at public libraries, uh, at you know people's homes with homeschool groups and stuff like that uh, to have some discussions, do some activities and crafts together to really kind of imaginatively invest yourself in the world of these stories, and and for, you know to enable kids to really kind of dig into uh, what's going on in these. Uh, uh, in these stories. So, anyway, yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, really gonna be awesome. I mean, so this this whole camp experience has been really fun. The way that we have been trying to organize it, that we've been partnering primarily with public libraries. It doesn't have to be just at libraries. Again, if you've got a kid who wants to do it on their own or you've got, you know, a couple friends who want to do it together, that'd be cool. You know, there's no reason it has to be a library, but we do want to partner with public libraries. It's a great place for uh, kids to be able to get together, you know, kids from a local community to be able to get together uh, and do some of these activities together, have some discussions and do some fun stuff together, even watch the together possibly. Um, so if you have a local public library that you think might be interested in hosting these camps, again, there's no charge whatsoever, no charge to the families, no charge to the libraries. It's free for everybody. We just want to encourage kids to be reading awesome books this summer. Uh, so, um, Then uh, anyway, so I I, what I encourage you to do uh, go into your public library. If again, if you've got a if you're part of a a homeschool group or something, talk to them. Right? Go into your public library if they're interested. um, You know, tell them about these programs. You know that they could uh, sort of host a chapter there at their own library. Uh, If they're interested, send us an email and let us know. So on this page, which is uh, uh, Signum University. Dot org slash academy. So this is the Signum Academy, which is our K-12 through 12 kids programs. Um, you will see all this information about the camp schedules. Click on this link, uh, uh, which is just an email to camp at signumu.org. Uh, send us an email. Give us some contact information. You don't, you know, encourage them to reach out to us, but it's okay if you've talked to them. Just send us an email and say, hey, I live in this town and I talk to our public library and here's their email address and they're interested to hear more. Um, so, um Anyway, so I just – I encourage you to reach out. A lot of the uh, libraries that ended up participating last year, a lot of the kids who ended up uh, involved in our Hobbit program last year, um, were – we got connected to through word of mouth by people who – people like you guys who are participating in our programs and stuff. So um, anyway. Just uh, spread the word uh, because this is this is awesome, this is free and it's gonna be great fun and I'm really excited about being able to expand our program this year to do the hobbit to do the hobbit again but to expand beyond the Hobbit uh, and uh, uh, go into some other uh, awesome kids book experiences. So that's. The plan, right? So I want you to spread the word about that. Uh, two other things that I wanted to remind you about. First of all, MythMoot. MythMoot is coming, right? We have registration open through the end of the month of May. So we're getting down to it and only about a week and a half left to sign up for MythMoot. Um, We've we we've got almost a hundred people coming. Uh we've got John Garth, we've got uh uh Douglas Anderson, the author of the annotated hobbit, we've got uh uh Mark Ockren, the guy who uh, wrote the book on who invented the Klingon language, coming, and give us some Klingon language lessons. Uh we also have and this is brand new, we ha- we're gonna have a live talk from Tom Shippy. So Tom Shippy can't come uh, physically, but we have convinced him uh, to log in and give us a live lecture at MythMoot. So those who are attending at MythMoot will be able to interact with Tom live uh, in this special talk that he's giving uh, on the theme of Vikings. As you may have heard, his new uh, Viking book is coming out very soon. Uh so uh, uh and if you if you want to hear him give a lecture uh on those topics as well not to mention as you say the mad violinist uh the guys the hosts of the prancing pony podcast are going to be there at Mythmooth this year and we're going to record a live uh, uh episode together and it's going to be great um so anyway it's going to be uh, it's going to be fantastic. And Tony, yes, we will post the the video of the Shippy Talk later on that will be available. Um, we're not trying to, you know, withhold everything from people who can't come to Mythmoot. But um, but again, if you want to be part of that live and be able to ask Tom questions and, and interact with him, uh, you got to be there. Um, so anyway, Mythmoot now even more awesome than before uh, and like I say uh, it's we're running out of time so through the end of May uh, you can register so uh, please do uh, uh, see if you can come to that the last thing Bay Moot uh, so the northern our northern, northern California regional gathering uh, in San Francisco Bay so uh, the, it's located in Oakland uh, California August 18th. 2018. So that's uh, our next regional event that's coming up. Uh, the reason I wanted to m- mention that specifically, I've mentioned it before, and uh, we've got got a bunch of signups for that already. So that that's looking really good. But I also wanted to bring to your attention that their call for papers goes through basically through the beginning of MythMood. So you've got about a month. Um, uh, anyone who has any ideas or proposals, or you know, that would like to would like to give a talk, would like to read a thing, would like to lead a discussion, participate in a panel, would like to hear a particular panel or something you know to suggest an idea or whatever um, go ahead and uh, go ahead and 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 make that suggestion so again just click on the Baymut link here and uh, you'll be able to there should be a link for the call for papers and here's the uh, yeah the email address here email to Baymut at signamu.org to talk about uh, possibilities for uh, for talks and presentations there so Anyway, that's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to meeting a bunch of people at Baymoot as well. Okay. And those are the announcements for today. Now, um, <laughs> I see people teasing me. No, we haven't gotten through chapter 11 yet. All right. So tonight, uh, danger closes in. Having gotten pretty much through the whole who is Aragorn question, right? Aragorn has revealed himself, and now we're we're in a, most of us anyway, Sam's still a little skeptical, but the rest of us are in a relatively comfortable place as far as Aragorn slash Strider is concerned. Aragorn, when he speaks of himself in the first person, Strider, when he speaks of himself in the third person. Uh, but of course, we still have one more event of the chapter, and that is, of course, Mary's well the realization of mary's disappearance and then his reappearance uh, and of course the word about the danger closing in around them so uh, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight one question i wanted to uh, uh, to get to from the uh, from the discussion board cuz it was a really good one uh before we officially go back to the text there uh, this is from jonathan castles he says, uh, you know we said we were looking out for Shakespeare references, especially references uh, from the Scottish play. I missed the last couple of weeks live, but I was catching up on episode 59 today and realized no one pointed out the link between Frodo's line. I think one of his spies would well seem fairer and feel fouler, if you understand, and the witches fair as foul and foul as fair line, in of course, Act One, Scene 1 of Macbeth. Certainly, very true. Right. Okay. So, uh, uh, and let's, uh, or, or if you did, yeah, Mad Violence did comment on that. At least I missed it. If you did comment it on it, we didn't talk about it. So let's talk about this for a second. Um, what is the now? So you know, there's seems to be an echo there, right? Now obviously what Frodo is saying is not the same thing. Um, but that juxtaposition of fair and foul I, I certainly I agree it's hard to get away uh, from the Macbeth echo. It's a very famous phrase uh, from Macbeth, right? So you know, Jonathan wasn't sure what to do with it, right? You know, he said right after that, you know, I don't I'm, he's not really sure what to make of that connection. So let's think about that for a second. So Frodo is talking about, The gap between appearance and reality, as far as the stranger is concerned, right? That a spy of Mordor might appear fair, but be foul underneath, uh, whereas Strider is foul on the surface, uh, but feels fair underneath, right? Um, Has this disreputable, rascally appearance, and yet Frodo has this sense that that's not the reality, that he's putting up a false Bad front, rather than a bad guy putting up a false good front, um, and I, you know, this brings me back to the conversation that we had earlier on about what seemed to be almost like a, a an elf friend recognition thing, right? Like there's something about him that that you know, Frodo gives kind of Frodo a good feeling about him, and we were talking about wondering if maybe that was the the both of them being elf friends, for instance. There seems to be something that people can kind of perceive um but let's think about this in conjunction with that line in the play because again i i certainly agree um this would would appear to be an echo even if that's you know Tolkien isn't thinking about macbeth here it's hard to avoid macbeth when he uses that particular phrasing is it possible that Tolkien used that phrasing just because of the alliteration and he you, you know we know how Tolkien feels about alliteration quite possibly but again we know, if there is one play of all of the Shakespearean canon, if there is one play that we know for sure that Tolkien, you know, was thinking about very consciously, uh, and, uh, uh, and was kind of in his mind and influencing him at various points, it's Macbeth. It's, you know, the one that he has, you know, explicitly alluded to, um, on several, in several places. Um, so Veronica yeah exactly the whole uh, the 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 prophecy and Eowyn's fulfillment of the prophecy being not identical to obviously but kind of reminiscent of the unexpected fulfillment of the uh, of the uh, you know no man born of woman shall slay macbeth prophecy absolutely um and um, anyway so um in order to do this fairly let's go back to the Text right. Let's actually make this comparison here. Uh, fortunately, Act One, Scene One of Macbeth is so short we can put it all on one slide. So here is the entirety of Act One, Scene One of Macbeth. Uh, let's look at this. We get the three witches meeting on a uh, on a on a on a blasted heath uh, with thunder and lightning going on overhead. Right. When shall we three meet again? In thunder, lightning, or in rain? When the hurly burly's done, when the battle's lost and won, that will be ere set of sun. Where the place? Upon the heath, there to meet with Macbeth. I come, Grey Malkin. Paddock calls anon. Fair is foul, and foul is fair. Hover through the fog and filthy air. So we have our witches, right? And. They're talking about when they're next going to meet again, which is, of course, the next time they're going to meet again is when they meet Macbeth and deliver their prophecies to Macbeth, which sort of ensnare him right into his downward downward spiral. Um, when the hurly burly's done, when the battle's lost and won, so they're going to they're going to meet him after the battle. Of course, as you doubtless remember, as I am sure that every single one of you retains crystal clear memories of the play Macbeth. Macbeth, of course, is the triumphant general. Uh, you know, of the armies of Scotland, they've just won. They've just won their battle, right? Well, at least that is the faithful uh, 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 people of Scotland have won this battle against the thane of Cawdor, who has shown himself a traitor. He's been rebelling, right, against the king. And Macbeth uh, is, as I say, the the uh, the 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 winning general, the the heroic general and uh well the triumphant general and heroic warrior as well uh who wins the battle um now notice that the uh uh the business at the end i come gray malkin paddock calls anon um that's them talking to their demonic familiars essentially right so what this is um what we're getting there, you know, the reason we're talking to our our demonic familiars there is kind of a reminder for those of you who I remember not only Macbeth really clearly, uh, but your late 16th century English history. Witchcraft was kind of a thing at the end of the 16th century. Um, it was HOT hot in the culture of late uh, uh James the 1st of England right king james um, who succeeded elizabeth the 1st was all over the witch thing right he wrote a book on demonology and witchcraft um he was like it was like his hobby uh uh witches and demonology uh, so this was this was this was, and of course he's also from scotland james of course james 4th of scotland so um Anyway, yeah, so so uh, this is a very topical play uh, in these ways. And he's here, uh, he, Shakespeare, is here invoking uh, the widely accepted and certainly um, authoritatively described connection between witches and demons. That's how witches, of course, do their thing and get their power, uh, is by their demonic familiar spirits. And so we see here Shakespeare uh, kind of evoking the 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 sort of traditional uh knowledge about witchcraft right that is uh circulating in his culture at that time right so he's clearly setting these are the bad guys right these are demonic but these are these are wicked women right who have uh, sold their souls to demonic familiars uh and who have been given powers we see them you know d- doing these black rituals and things later on in the play very very bad okay and then at the end of this, so having, having explained that they're preparing to, to meet Macbeth, right, they have plans for Macbeth, they then end the, the what's their plan? What are they going to do? right? We're only given two clues about this. One is they're chatting with their demonic familiars like that's it's not going to be anything good, right? Um, But secondly, of course, is the the couplet that we get that they say in unison at the end, fair is foul and foul is fair, hover through the fog and filthy air. Um, So... What does that mean exactly? Fair is foul and foul is fair. What is the significance of that line? This is, of course, what we've been building up to, right? What does that line mean in Macbeth so that we can think about it and, and compare and contrast what it means here to the usage that uh, that uh, Tolkien has with that with that pairing, with the fair and foul pairing there in chapter 10. So here what is the emphasis what are they say why are they saying fair is foul and foul is fair and i would say that there are two there are two things that i would say right here we're talking about reversals right we're not talking about something seeming fair and actually being foul right that's not the issue here here we're talking about uh, like fair being foul and foul being fair right either you know maybe in perception in a sense but re- but also in reality, right? Um, this is a kind of prediction, in a sense, right? On the one hand, they're kind of setting the theme of what's gonna of, of what they're gonna be doing, but they're also kind of making a, a prediction. Macbeth, of course, he's gonna be our he's gonna be our tragic hero. He's gonna make some very bad choices uh, over the course of the play, right? Which is gonna lead him into this sort of moral death spiral that's gonna you know lead him down until he. Almost completely vacates his humanity by the end of the play. I mean, he's barely even—he's um, barely even human at the end of the play. Um, but uh, so, but we have to remember that at the beginning of the play, he's not just like an okay guy. He's an awesome guy. He's a hero, right? He's—he's he's just a supporter of Duncan. He's like the guy who just. Save Duncan's biscuits, right? I mean, he is the most loyal, the most most faithful, the most admirable general. He is as fair as fair gets, right? Um, so fair that Duncan is going to reward him with the feanship of Cawdor, right? With the title and lands of the treacherous dude, uh, who was just captured and overthrown by, uh, by Macbeth's, uh, virtue and prowess, right? Um, so he is as so on the one hand, fair is foul. Foresees, right. How Macbeth is going to fall from being, you know, at the, 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 the the pinnacle of things that he is here uh, at the opening of, of act one to the, the remarkable depths uh, to which he's going to the depths of foulness to which he is going to sink at the end. So on the one hand, we're they are kind of both predicting and kind of reveling, in the uh this 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 identity right this mixing and uh, uh you know the the kind of fluidity right between fairness and foulness that they are going to that they're going to help bring about uh and that they're looking forward to bringing about um, so on the one hand the fairness and foulness this is about it describes a shift within him but it's also, in a sense, about perception, though again, not in the same way as in the Fellowship of the Ring. Again, it's not about foul things like mistaking uh, a foul, a thing that just truly foul, for something that's fair because its its, it's appearance is fair. It's kind of, uh, sort of, uh, deeper than that, in a sense, or or sort of, well, not deeper, but different anyway. Um, he is going to be when they greet him, right, with their prophetic and tempting greetings, right, with their prophecies that he shall be king hereafter, um, they're inviting him to look up to fair things, right? He's just been... He he's, he, he is the Thane of Glamis, and that's a noble position. He is about to be awarded the Thaneship of Cawdor, right? And that's uh, an excellent and and uh, an enormous reward. Uh, and he's going to be king hereafter. Isn't that lovely, right? That's So just the the three the three things that they say when they greet him is it's each one is more fair than the one before right these are these are brilliant uh predictions right brilliant um uh prospects that they're opening up in front of him but of course as his eyes are directed towards these quite in themselves very fair things right we see that he immediately begins looking down At foul means, right? Having achieved the Thaneship of Condor through his excellent actions, now we see him uh, immediately uh, contemplating murdering his king, you know, this act of murder and treason, um, this very, very foul means by which he is going to achieve that fair thing. And so now we have this muddy line, right? Where this fair thing, this fair prospect that's been put before him, is foul. It's not about seeming. Right, it is. It's it's fair, but it's also foul. Um, and this is the way. This is the state, right? That the witches are going to create. That the witches are going to uh, are going to uh, are going to um put things. Not to mention, it also kind of changes things, right? Again, thane ship of Cador. That's like, wow, right? He's going to have two thane ships. That's amazing, right? What a wonderful reward. Who wouldn't be happy and satisfied with that, right? Well, somebody who's just been told that he's going to. Be king and maybe should start looking into that, right? Um, so the thainship of Cador, which seems like again an enormously fair uh, and attractive thing, now looks, you know, mean. It's, you know that which was fair is now foul. He's totally unsatisfied by that now with this other thing uh, and this action, which is completely contrary to everything he's ever done and anything he's ever been, right? That is the murder and uh, the the treasonous murder of the king whose who's throne he has just been defending so valiantly. That's incredibly foul, that action, right? And it begins to look more and more attractive to him as a means to this end. So in the play, what we're getting here in this first scene, what the witches are doing is... is playing with means and ends, right, to confuse fairness and foulness, right? So again, it's not about appearance and reality, a gap between appearance and reality. It's about what, what is really foul and what is fair and that which you considered foul before. Well, now looked at from this different perspective, seems like something desirable as a means to an end, right? It might be a, a foul means, but, you know, you can get over it, right? Because it's, uh, there's, uh, there's goodness there at the end, right? There's there's a reward at the end. Um, so this is the significance I would say anyway, this is my, would be my explanation of the significance of this line in the play. Fair is foul and foul is fair. So when Frodo, uh, going back then for a second to, uh, Jonathan's quotation, uh, from the scene we looked at last time, um, I think one of the enemy spies would seem fairer and feel fouler, if you understand. Notice that although, again, these same terms are being used, exactly what Frodo is not suggesting is any confusion between those things, right? Or any any confusion would be one merely of deception, right? There's no question that foulness and fairness are actually being confounded here and there's no questions of means and ends or anything like that this is merely how can you judge appearances um even the that 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 sense that that conviction that frodo has right that he he acknowledges that spies of the enemy that you know the servants of evil can look fair right but that even if they did they would feel foul um and what he's describing here, right? The, the that whole sentence is a, a setup for the observation that he's trying to make about Strider, right? He's saying there's something that doesn't fit here, right? There is a disjunction between how you seem and how you feel, right? What I am perceiving in of your essence and what I am. uh you know, seeing on the surface of your appearance. Those two things aren't fitting for me. But the way that they don't fit is not the way that I would expect them not to fit. Uh, You know, so that, that kind of disjunction, totally normal, right? Totally normal. Just what I would expect, except... The opposite. I would expect a servant of the enemy, a, dis- a lying, deceiving spy of the enemy, especially right. Orcs don't look foul and look fair and feel foul, right? They just look foul and feel foul, right? But a lying, insinuating spy of the enemy may feel foul, but there would be a disjunction, right? They would, f- they they, would- they might look fair, but they would feel foul. Um, so again, the the key, and I agree exactly, Tony. That the, the important words in that sentence are are feel uh, and seem. Uh, Absolutely. Um, That's what he's talking about, right? So his use, I won't say that his use of the words fair and foul are um, incidental, like I I wouldn't go anything like as far as that, but I agree that they're not the crucial terms, right? Whereas again, in, in the line in Macbeth, those terms are almost all, almost the entire line, right? Fair is foul, and foul is fair. The only other thing we get are linking verbs, right? In that line, um, linking verbs which just identify the two things, right? Taking the concept of fairness and foulness, mushing them together, switching them around because it doesn't matter, right? It's a linking verb. It, it's it's commutative, right? Uh, so, to use it flip a math term into the grammatical observation uh so uh, you know that's what the you know th- this so this uh actual confounding of fairness and foulness is what the witches are all about whereas frodo's observation is based on an assertion of his ability to perceive difference right that that this just this disjunction might be different, but it would still be there, right? Um, fair is f- uh, uh, fair is fair, and foul is foul, would seem to be the premise upon which Frodo's statement is made, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now that's a good question, Fourth Thoughtless. Uh, he asks, does the word seem have an express connection to sight? Not necessarily. No, I, I don't think it's just about, um, I don't think it's just about sight there. Um, but it's, it's, it's well worth for a second thinking a little bit more about those words. Um, seem and feel in those instances. What's the difference between seeming and feeling? Uh, as Frodo is describing it here. I don't think that seem is just about, is only a sight word, though I'd say it, in the way that Frodo's using it, it would seem to be primarily about sight. Um, but I guess the way that I would say it is seeming is about the superficial appearance to the senses, right? Which will be mostly sight as, you know, but it would also be hearing, right? Right. Um, I mean, heck, it could even be smell, right? Um, whereas yeah, Tony feeling would be more like a personal experience. It would be just something that you perceive on a deeper level. Again, that kind of like almost spiritual resonance between elf friends or, um, Uh, Yeah. Marianne says seeming implies illusion. Feeling implies a deeper perception. Yeah. Deeper. I keep going, getting back to that too. I'm not totally satisfied with that way of describing it, but, but yeah, Marianne, I think you're thinking the same thing that I am there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Mad Violinist points out that when Aragorn paraphrases, right, when he picks up on it and says, uh, meaning I look foul and feel fair, right, um, he uses look instead of seem. Um, So that does, so for Thoughtless, that's really interesting, right? That's kind of how Aragorn translates it, that connection between seem and look. So I don't think that we can just identify it again. It's not only about sight, but it would be primarily about sight. In any case, like that which you know, uh, a merely external view by the senses would reveal, right? Compared to this sort of deeper kind of, I don't know, um, intuition, JJ. Yeah. Sort of, I would say even sort of spiritual perception, essentially. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. um, Well, I'm glad we settled that. Hey, look, you know, I'm not apologizing for a long Shakespearean aside because totally worth it, right? We got to do a fun analysis of the first scene of Macbeth. So there we go. Um, Yeah, Tony. Yes, it's just like when Gandalf talks about what his heart tells him. Yeah, there's this kind of intuition, this kind of deeper, this feeling thing that uh, Frodo is describing, or rather, this thing that Frodo is using the word "feels" to describe, right, um, is clearly uh, a um, is clearly a legitimate phenomenon uh, in the Tolkien world, right? And I would encourage us to sort of watch for other examples of that and to be thinking about this kind of uh, remembering back to this scene uh, and. Uh, to see if we can get some other examples, maybe build some other vocabulary from within the text um, about uh, sort of what this is what this means, what this is about, what you know how we can describe this thing. So anyway, okay, um, yeah, Tony Elrond is big on this. So is Aragorn, right? He does this kind of thing all the time. Um, yeah, good. Erokeb says, Tolkien liked the idea so much, he made an elvish, phra- an elvish phrase for it." Guren bed eni, my heart tells me, yes, yeah. <laughs> Ambrosius Aureliana says, uh, "We should really read Macbeth in the original Quenya. It, it, it really it works better. It works better <laughs> there." <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, uh, that might be, by the way, the 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 uh, subtle illusion you are making. Uh, is I think my favorite line in all of Star Trek, right? Um, <laughs> when, when, when they when they talk about reading Shakespeare in the original Klingon, uh, that is, uh, uh, that is absolutely, uh, I, I, I really, I think that might be my favorite single line in all of Star Trek. Uh, anyway. Okay. All right. Hey, chapter 10. There it is. Okay. So, now that we have established Aragorn's identity, we're going to begin our conversation with him. When did you last see Gandalf? asked Frodo. Do you know where he is or what he is doing? Strider looked grave. I do not know, he said. I came west with him in the spring. I have often kept watch on the borders of the Shire in the last few years, when he was busy elsewhere. He seldom left it unguarded. We last met on the 1st of May, at Sarn Ford, down the Brandywine. He told me that his business with you had gone well, and that you would be starting for Rivendell in the last week of September. As I knew he was at your side, I went away on a journey of my own, and that has proved ill, for plainly some news reached him, and I was not at hand to help. I am troubled for the first time since I have known him. We should have had messages, even if he could not come himself. When I returned many days ago, I heard the ill news. The tidings had gone far and wide, that Gandalf was missing, and the horsemen had been seen. It was the elven folk of Gildor that told me this, and later they told me that you had left your home. But there were no no- there was no news of your leaving Buckland. I have been watching the East Road anxiously. Do you think the Black Riders have anything to do with it? With Gandalf's absence, I mean? asked Frodo. I do not know of anything else that could have hindered him, except the enemy himself, said Strider. But do not give up hope. Gandalf is greater than you shire folk know. As a rule, you can only see his jokes in toys. But this business of ours will be his greatest task. Okay. Um, now, um, oh, okay, hang on. Tony's trying to distract me from this slide. Uh, yes, okay, so Tony says, quick question about the paragraph just before this. Uh, I-, I wonder if the with Sam's permission when he says, so with Sam's permission, we'll call that settled, um, is gently, is Aragorn gently mocking Sam for his, with your leave, Mr. Frodo from earlier in the conversation, right? When he says with your leave, Mr. Frodo, I would say no. Right. Uh, and so him now turning to ask Sam's permission. Um, yeah, Tony, I like that a lot. Actually. I, I, I hadn't really noticed that echo, but you're right. It is a almost direct echo of, uh, of Sam's own words. Uh, Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, okay. So. (laughs) Gandalf notice what, so in a lot of this confirms conversations we've already been having, right. When we've been talking about his movements, um, when Gandalf met Radagast, we haven't heard about that yet. Right. But when he received the news from Saruman and the invitation to go to Isengard, um, he believed that Frodo was going to leave in the last week of September, right? So that Frodo's departure was—remember, this is this is midsummer—that he's getting this news, and it was before that. It was on the first of May that he met with Aragorn. So uh, he's in the Shire, right? Gandalf's in the Shire, meeting with Frodo back in April, right? They have the, They do chapter two, they do the shadows of the past, he makes his plans, right? He decides he's going to leave. We infenestrate Sam, right? All this is happening in April. And then soon afterwards, Gandalf says, you know, I feel a little anxious. I'm not sure why. I'm going to go and find out. What does he do? He goes and meets, he goes and finds Aragorn, right? That, so we have every reason to believe that Gandalf went more or less straight to look for Aragorn from Bag End, right? When he leaves at the beginning of. Uh, Uh, at the beginning of chapter three. Uh, So he meets Aragorn, tells Aragorn, you know, that his business went well. That is the whole conversation ending with the infenestration of Sam went well, right? Uh, He, Frodo, is planning to leave with the ring. So all of the information that Strider has about Frodo and the ring and Sam and all that stuff, that dates from this May 1st conversation with Gandalf. Right. So as far as Aragorn and then he had to go. So he's got he's a busy guy. Right. He had stuff to do. Gandalf seems to have everything under control here. Remember, Gandalf was coming to check and see if there was bad news. Um, He had this sense that something bad was going on. So who does he ask? Strider, right? Who else would know better than Strider, who is not only himself going about at a great rate in this area, but also is, of course, going to be in touch with the other rangers around here. Right. So so fine. So he he goes and talks to Aaron. What does he find? Right. Everything's fine. Right, Aragorn hasn't heard anything, so so there's Aragorn obviously has no bad news to tell him. So Gandalf comes and says, "I'm kind of anxious. What's up?" And Aragorn's like, "Nothing. Pretty quiet. Right. Everything's fine." And Gandalf's like, "Okay. So Frodo's going to leave in in a few months. It's May first. He's going to leave in September. Right. So we're talking four months from now, almost five months from now. Frodo's going to be leaving for Rivendell, um, and Gandalf's there. So when he Aragorn leaves, no reason to suspect that anything's wrong." No reason to suspect that Gandalf's going to leave. Why would he leave, right? He's not going to leave, right? So he leaves Aragorn, right, then comes back and finds Gandalf is gone uh, and the Black Riders are in the area and Frodo has still not set out, right? So um, this is not, uh, this is not, in one sense, a big deal. Like, that is, he doesn't know about the letter, right? He doesn't know that Frodo was supposed to have set out in July, right? So he doesn't know that Frodo's late. Frodo's still on schedule, but it's just, all of a sudden, holy cow, the Nazgul are here, and uh where's Gandalf? He was in—he was—he had everything under control around here, right? And now, all of a sudden, nothing is under control. Everything is going—and and nobody knows where Gandalf is, and that— that Gandalf would be detained. Notice he's immediately talking about Gandalf being uh, uh, like that, you know, that, that he's, um, let's see. So yeah, Gandalf is missing and the horseman had been seen. Gandalf, it's not just that Gandalf is gone, right? He's missing. He's supposed to be there and isn't. Um, What could have hindered him? Something must have hindered him right? Um, and Frodo asks about the Black Riders, right? Do you think the Black Riders had anything to do with it? Did the Black Riders capture Gandalf? Did they kill Gandalf? Um, and um, the answer? Probably, right? Notice Strider has two conversations with Gildor. Gildor is obviously part of Aragorn's network in this area, right? Uh Gildor and his people are traveling through here and they're keeping Aragorn informed, right? So he's had two meetings or he's heard tidings from Gildor. Um it was the Elven folk of Gildor told me this, told uh him what that Gandalf was missing and the horseman had been seen, right? Um so yes, so Gildor knew That the Black Riders were in the area before they met, before he Gildor met Frodo, right? He already knew about the Black Riders. Remember back to the first interactions that they have when, um, um, when Frodo, uh, when Pippin busts out with, um, with uh, you know tell us about the Black Riders, right? And the elves are like, Black Riders? Why do you ask about Black Riders? Um, They're not saying this because they've never heard of them. They're saying this because they don't know why the Shire Hobbits are asking about them, right? They've heard about them and they know that they're in the area. Obviously, they've heard of the Nazgul, but they've heard that the Black Riders are in the area, right? So when you think about it, the elves question, right? The Black Riders, why do you ask about Black Riders? Sounds completely different now, right? Originally, it sounded like Hey, well, that's kind of out of the blue. Like, what are these Black Riders of which you speak? We might have uh, been tempted to interpret their questions that way, right? Now it is clear that they're, the the emphasis is quite different, right? Wait a second. Why are you asking about Black Do you know something about, about Black How do you know anything about Black Riders? They were totally unaware that there was a Black Rider like five yards away from them, right? Uh, so they, you know, it... Um, It ran away as they approached and they didn't even know it was there. They're disturbed to learn that it's there in the Shire already, right? That, I mean, Gildor knows at that point, right? He knows that Frodo was just this close from being captured by one of the Nazgul, right? Which, of course, is why he's like, why don't you come along with us for tonight, right? Um yeah, exactly, Tony. They're not surprised that they're abroad. They're surprised that they're in the Shire. That's exactly it. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, Matt Violinist asks, are we meant to think that by missing, Gildor didn't mean that he was specifically expected, but simply that they expected Gandalf to be where the Nazgul are? Possibly. I have got to think that Gildor probably... Again, I've probably talked to Gildor, too. Um... But I have to think that they knew at least that he was in the area, right? That he was, that Gandalf was kind of the one in charge of this whole Shire business, right? Um, so the fact that he's not around again, um, you know, that he's not been heard from in some time, uh, would probably strike them as odd even um yeah, I mean, so I, I, I think they know he's supposed to be around. Um, why did the elves not mention that Gandalf went to see Saruman? They don't know. They don't know. Um, that's the significance. Um, Gandalf finds that out from Radagast, as we'll learn later. He uh, is near Bree. When he finds this out, goes, stays that one night of the Prancing Pony, and then heads south. He does not interact with Gildor and the Elves. Uh, he doesn't interact with any of the Dunedain. The only person with whom he interacts between uh, Radagast and Saruman is Butterbur. Right? Um, so, um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So Gildor is learning something when he learns that Frodo expected Gandalf and that Gandalf failed to make the meeting. Yeah, he's learning details that he didn't know. He knew that Gandalf was missing. Um He, Gildar, seems to be then even more concerned when he learns that there was a definite, like, a point that he was supposed to come by this date at the latest and he hasn't come, right? So, for Gildar, this seems to move it from general unease, like, okay, hang on, wasn't Gandalf supposed to be around? Like, where's Gandalf? I have not heard from Gandalf in a while. The are here and Gandalf is missing, did something horrible happen, right? This kind of a, a vague sort of anxiety about Gandalf to, okay, now we have concrete reason uh, to know, like he would not fail to keep his, to, you know, to, 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 to keep his tryst, to keep his appointment with Frodo. Um, he would not fail to keep that unless there's this, this proves that something serious is amiss here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Okay. I don't know of anything else that could have hindered him except the enemy himself, says Strider. And this is fun in a couple ways, right? Um, Yeah. Uh, First, that he can't think of anything, right? Notice how unthinkable to Aragorn the concept of Saruman being a traitor is, right? That Saruman would have turned on Gandalf and held him prisoner, that's completely off the radar right i mean no one suspects that um so that's one interesting thing to observe from aragorn's words here the other thing of course is that this is really fun for uh and those of you will know what i'm talking about right away who have been doing the history of the lord of the rings uh series with me in the mythgard academy on wednesday nights um of course, you'll remember from the return of the sh- our discussion of the return of the shadow that Gandalf, of course, in the original drafts, when these, you know, words were first written, um, Gandalf had been captured by the Nazgul. In fact, and was being held in a tower, um, a tower to which he had fled uh, and in which the Nazgul had trapped him. Basically, so Gandalf would run up a tower, and they couldn't take him. Cause he was defending himself in the tower. Um, so he was trapped more than exactly held prisoner. He was like besieged essentially by the, and the Nazgul were surrounding him. Um, treed, uh, is a, a good way of describing it. tolónio actually. Yeah, exactly. Tony was just thinking the same word. Yeah. They had treed him essentially. Uh, and, uh, uh, but yeah, they were the ones in fact who were holding him prisoner. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Exactly, JJ. Uh, Saruman's treachery is an anti-You catastrophe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so. Good, right, but don't give up hope on Gandalf, right? Because he is greater than you Shire folk know. Um, notice, by the way, I, I think that both of them here are not wanting to say that they think Gandalf's dead. I mean, that Gandalf was captured by the Nazgul is like theoretically possible, um, but not hugely likely, right? I mean, more likely, they just would have killed him um, if they caught him. If they caught up with him in the wild and had a conflict with him, right, and took him down, I mean, that would be that would be a hindrance, right? Um, I I don't think that Aragorn is implying that he thinks they've captured him. Um, And that's why I think he says, but do not give up hope, right? Um, Do not give up hope means, I believe, there might be hope that he's still alive, right? Not there might be hope that he might get free from his imprisonment. Um, No one's even talked about that. And I think that Frodo doesn't want to say it, and neither does Aragorn. Um, With Gandalf's absence, yeah, yeah, his absence, right? He doesn't want to say, um, uh, is Gandalf dead? but I think that's what they're both thinking and what they're both afraid of. Um. Okay, yeah, move that. All right. Pippin yawned. "'I'm sorry,' he said, "'but I am dead tired. "'In spite of all the danger and worry, "'I must go to bed or sleep where I sit. "'Where is that silly fellow, Mary? "'It would be the last straw "'if we had to go out in the dark to look for him.' "'At that moment they heard a door slam. "'Then feet came running along the passage.' Merry came in with a rush, followed by Nob. He shut the door hastily and leaned against it. He was out of breath. They stared at him in alarm for a moment before he gasped. "'I've seen them, Frodo! I've seen them! Black riders!' "'Black riders?' cried Frodo. "'Where?' "'Here!' In the village! I stayed indoors for an hour. Then, as you did not come back, I went out for a stroll. I had come back again and was standing just outside the light of the lamp looking at the stars. Suddenly I shivered and felt that something horrible was creeping near. There was a sort of deeper shade among the shadows across the road, just beyond the edge of the lamplight. It slid away at once into the dark without a sound. There was no horse. Okay. What do we get? First of all, we got to keep in mind here... Where does Mary have his confrontation with the Black Rider? Right? He does not have his confrontation with the Black Rider in some back alley of Brie, right where he has wandered around on his ill-judged nocturnal stroll through this strange new city that he is visiting. Right, um, it is right outside the Pony that he has this confrontation with the rider, right? I had come back again. So he went out for a stroll and he had come back again. He was at the pony and he was standing just outside the light of the lamp. That means presumably the lamp that's right above the front door, right? So there's a lamp by the door of the inn and he was just outside the light of that lamp when all of a sudden this happened. And what happened? I shivered and felt that something horrible was creeping near. He just has this feeling that something foul is nearby, right? As it were. And he sees some deeper shade among the shadows, just beyond the edge of the lamplight. It slid away into the dark without a sound. There was no horse. Um, There was no horse is kind of interesting, right? Because, like, it's not exactly a black rider. It's like a black... I don't even know what, right? What is it doing? Black, what, sneaker? Slinker? I don't know what it is, but it's not a black slitherer, possibly. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, keep in mind, this is the first time Mary's ever seen a black rider, right? He might have seen the one from a distance, Right. The one that was on the ferry landing after they had already uh, they were already halfway across the river. That's the only time that um, he has ever seen one. Right. He was. uh, Remember, he said when they told him the story about how they'd been chased by black riders across the Shire that he would have thought they were making it all up. Right. Had it not been for the shadow that he saw on the landing, and that queer sound in Farmer Maggot's voice, right? The fact that Farmer Maggot was so scared. Um, Yeah, yeah. Lincoln says that Mary's description of his encounter with the Nazgul in this sequence, and especially the sense of something horrible, was always one of the creepiest parts of the story for me as a kid. Yeah, Lincoln, it is really creepy, right? And this is enormously important to understand about the Nazgul, right? What is so threatening about the Nazgul? it's not that they're going to beat you up, right? It's not even that they're going to kill you. It's the effect that they have on you, right? That is what, that is what the Nazgul are about. Yes, they're uncanny. They are scary. They are terrifying. Um, and that's what they do. That's what they did to Mary. What was the black rider doing? Scouting? Maybe. I don't know. Um, he's not walking openly around the town. Um, uh, he's hanging around outside the lamplight, right? But he is right outside the inn. Um, <laughs> Valori says, uh, in, in her head, there was no horse. Sounds almost accusatory. Like, you said they had horses, right? You said they were riders. I didn't see a rider. You know, I didn't see a horse here. Um, Are they meeting with Bill Fernie? That seems quite likely. Um. Uh, quite likely. Let's, uh... Let's get the other half of the story. Which way did it go? Asked Strider, suddenly and sharply. Mary started, noticing the stranger for the first time. Go on, said Frodo. This is a friend of Gandalf's. I will explain later. I love, like, let's think of this from Mary's point of view, right? He comes in and he's like, I've seen them! Dark strangers! Out in the... uh they were really scary! And then, like, all of a sudden, you know, this man that you know this big person whom he's never seen before and who deliberately looks all shabby and rascally and intimidating says which way did it go and he's like Wah! <laughs> who are you um uh so Frodo's like, this is, and so Frodo saying this is a friend of Gandalf's is interesting, right? He, um, he's told Aragorn that it would have saved time if Aragorn had told him that he was a friend of Gandalf's, right? Um, so he is, uh, giving Mary the same shortcut that he says would have made things easier for him, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay, so, um, and Mary to do him justice rolls with this pretty well it seemed to make off up the road eastward continued mary i tried to follow of course it vanished almost at once but i went round the corner and on as far as the last house on the road mary looked at strider with one strider looked at mary with wonder you have a stout heart he said but it was foolish i don't know said mary neither brave nor silly i think i could hardly help myself i seemed to be drawn somehow Anyway, I went, and suddenly I heard voices by the hedge. One was muttering, and the other was whispering or hissing. I couldn't hear a word that was said. Then I felt terrified, and I turned back and was just going to bolt home when something came behind me and I I fell over. Okay, so what did Mary do? Mary sees a black rider off in the darkness and follows it. Right, He trails it. He pursues the Black Rider in the dark in the strange city. So, yeah, Strider is kind of surprised. Like, you met a Black Rider in the dark. And not only did you not run away, right? You actually <laughs> chased it. Right. That's really amazing, right? And he is... Uh, he's he is impressed. He is looking at Mary with wonder. You have a stout heart. Very few people would respond in those circumstances to a Nazgul that way. Um, but it was foolish, right? And yes, it not it fun thinking about Mary's ultimate destiny here, right? Um, Yes, Mary is going to kind of make a little career for himself of being willing to go towards black riders instead of away from them, right? When he should be scared and intimidated. Um, and, uh, that's, that is really fun to think about. Um, now he says that it was neither brave nor silly, right? Which is of course what he's, he's just said it was brave, but silly, right? You have a stout heart, but it was foolish. And he's like, I don't know that it's either one. He could hardly help himself. He says, He seemed to be drawn. I don't know how we're supposed to understand that exactly. Um, This kind of compulsion doesn't seem to be... I don't know. Um, uh, So... This is to me a really interesting data point because we have, we're going to have some interesting moments of the will of a Nazgul having some impact on the will of somebody else, right? Nazgul asserting their will and trying to dominate the will of somebody else from outside, right? But that's mostly going to be on Frodo, on the ring bearer. And it's therefore kind of, that's kind of a complicated situation, right? Like it's how much is it the Nazgul? How much is it the ring? Right. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a three body problem, right? Not a, not a two body problem when you're talking about the Nazgul's will exerting itself upon Frodo with Mary. Um, with Mary, it's, uh, a different situation, right? Um, he has no reason to be drawn, any other external reason to be drawn, other than, I guess, the will of the Nazgul. Um, you know, uh, uh, Belanxmond, uh, says it's the sense of adventure inspired by Bilbo that draws Mary, um... Possibly. Yeah. It could just be overwhelming curiosity. It could be, but I don't think that that, I mean, okay. If it is, then Mary's not being honest with himself about that. What he's describing is not merely curiosity, right? Um, when he says, I could hardly help myself, I seem to be drawn somehow. I could hardly help myself. If he had just said that, if he said, I could hardly help myself, that might sound like he was like, oh, man, I was so curious. Like, there was no way I could possibly not fall under that kind of circumstances, right? I'm sorry, right? No way. But th- but he doesn't just say that. He adds, I seemed to be drawn somehow. Anyway, I went, right? I seemed to be drawn somehow says that he perceived believed felt that he that some external force was acting on him right um so i don't think this is just his own curiosity nor do i think that this is really just his sense of adventure or anything like that that doesn't seem to me to be adequate that would be Those would be ways in which we might describe him doing something. So, we might say that Mary's spirit of adventure influenced him in his decision to recommend, uh, to like support the idea of going through the Old Forest, right? That Mary was kind of keen to go through the Old Forest because of his curiosity. Uh, If the old forest was really like all the stories that he'd heard about it and his sense of adventure. Right. So, again, I and that if, if we said that about Mary, I would think that that would be a perfectly fair thing to say about Mary. But it's not what he's describing here. Maybe he's lying. Right. Maybe he's lying to himself. Maybe he's making an excuse here. That's possible that he's making an excuse here, that it really was just his own curiosity. It really was just his own uh, sort of troublesome sense of adventure, right? That's leading him to do this rash and foolish thing. Uh, and after the fact, he's like, okay, so that if I just say that, it sounds really dumb. So I'm going to try to defuse the foolishness of this by claiming I had no choice. I was drawn by some mysterious force that I can't explain. That's conceivable. I can't absolutely rule that out. But I don't think so. Let me say it this way if Mary's making that up, if that's a cover story that Mary's using to make an excuse for his own foolishness, it's an awfully conspicuous one. Because what he's describing is exactly like the effect we are going to see the Nazgûl have on Frodo, on several occasions. This is a thing that the Nazgul do. This is an effect that the Nazgul have. However, is the Nazgul even aware of him? I don't think so. Is the Nazgul drawing him? I can't imagine that it is. If it is, why isn't it waiting for him around the corner? I mean, it's not that I can't imagine the Nazgul wanting to capture Mary, right? Sure, Probably it would. Right. And perhaps it would even do so by trying to draw it, uh, draw him out of the light and, you know, down a dark street where it could then, you know, pounce on him and drag him off or whatever it is that it was going to do. Right. But it doesn't do that. It goes about its business. Mary follows it almost all the way out of town. Did you notice? Where does it follow? Where does he follow him to? Where does he follow him to? We know this. Almost the last house outside of town, heading east, Bill Fernie's house. Right? We know that this is Bill Fernie's house. We're going to see when we pass Bill Fernie's house on the way that same way out of town the next you know, the next day. We'll see this explicitly. Right? The Nazgul is going to Bill Fernie. In other words, it's not doing anything with Mary. Mary is following it and, and overhearing it. Mary is effectively shadowing the shadow here. And it does not yet seem to be aware of Mary's existence. Again, if it were, surely it would have ambushed him already. Not just like gone along its... I'm about to say it's Mary way. Gone along its way to meet up with Bill Fernie and chat with him over the hedge. Right? While the Hobbit listened on, if it were with its conscious will drawing Mary into, you know, uh, you know, endangering himself in the dark street on his own, it had pounced right away. So, therefore, since I don't believe that Mary is just making was merely curious and acting foolishly and is making an excuse for himself, I don't believe that. Um, And I don't see that there's any reason to believe that the Nazgul was consciously trying to draw Mary after it. Therefore, I can only conclude that Mary follows the Nazgul, that this sort of drawing after it uh, is like an unconscious effect that uh, the Nazgul seems to have um, on what? people, right? Um, and that's interesting. Yeah, Veronica points out it has an effect on geese and dogs, too. Yes, though that, I think, Veronica, the dogs howling and the geese yammering, uh, that's their perception that something horrible is nearby, right? Right. That same feeling that Mary got when he is standing there, you know, looking up at the stars outside the prancing pony. That sense of something horrible nearby. If he were a goose or a dog, he'd have been screaming at that point, right? That I think is what the geese and dogs are responding to. The geese and dogs don't follow him, right? They don't. We don't. We don't see that. We don't see them be followed along by a, by a crowd of geese and dogs. Um. Yeah. So. So I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of this, but I think it's an interesting point for us to kind of watch and see, especially as the Nazgul are, are you know, we see the Nazgul interacting with others. Um, this attraction that the Nazgul would seem to have, um, we have seen it before too, right? Um, even just in Frodo's temptations to... Uh, uh, put on the ring and stuff right that was ring temptation but um this desire to leap out and review himself to the nazgûl seems to me to be not the same cuz again you got the ring involved right so there's a whole other factor there but um cuz it's clearly a ring temptation as well and yet the sort of premise of that temptation seems to be something intrinsic to the Nazgul, right? Um, it seems to be, it's, it, this is why I find this passage so interesting because without this passage, I might've thought that the, that other stuff was just like 100% the ring. Right. But now I'm not sure. I do think that it's 100% the ring. Um, AeroCab, yes, the ring rates would have a power of domination stemming from their own rings, I would think. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. What's interesting is that it seems to be like an area, uh, like a, 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 a an AoE effect, right? It's like an area... Uh, 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 yeah. It affects the whole area, right? Um, there's this aura of dominion about them, right, that makes those who are near them just want to follow them, come after them. Right. Um, and that's interesting. That's interesting to me. That to me, uh, just, it just, it puts an, another little interesting factor into the, uh, into those moments when Frodo is being tempted by the ring and how he's being tempted by the ring. Um, yeah. Yeah. Irindus says, I thought one of the reasons the ring temptation is so powerful around the Nazgul is that they call to it as it does to them. Exactly. Irindus. Yes. And that's why I think, um, this is so interesting, right? That it helps me. I think it helps me. Maybe it just confuses me, but I think it helps me to understand better what's going on with those ring temptations it isn't that the nazgûl are like communing with the ring and being like okay ring of power do your stuff right um frodo is feeling a temptation that is derived directly from the nazgûl himself and the ring is the one who seems to be taking advantage of that temptation right um, in order to further tempt him to use the ring, right? To reveal himself or to uh, or to, to whatever. Um, exactly. The Nazgul may have some ability to call the others through their will, not simply due to the one ring. Exactly. Because, of course, you um, uh, that other idea, which is hard to kind of avoid, right? The idea that the Nazgul are kind of like almost like working actively in cahoots with the ring doesn't make any sense because if they need, to, they need to know it's there, right? He would never, like the black rider on the road would never, like, just turn around and go away, right? Uh, if he knew the ring was right there and had been, you know, and Frodo is experiencing that temptation, so um. Yeah, and Fort Thomas says this gives us a good clue about how the rings work. The Nazgul are great among men who obtain power from having many followers. The nine allow their wielders to draw followers to them. That's interesting. Of course, Mary literally a follower in this case, right? Uh yeah, perhaps so. Perhaps that's part you know, that 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 kind of power is is part of the the power that the nine rings give, that seeing things uh, that seems to me and very plausible, really. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely, Mad Violinist, I'm not at all disagreeing with the fact that the Ring of Power makes him, makes Frodo more vulnerable to this uh, spell, this, uh, you know, this effect that the Nazgul have. Absolutely. Or rather, I guess the way that I would say it is it adds an extra temptation, right? This feeling of like, I really should... Go after them. I really should reveal myself to them. I really sh- just opens the door for the ring. Right, the ring is just looking for an excuse to say like, "Hey, yeah, why don't you put me on? That would be a great idea." Um, go off on your own and wear me. Right, this seems to be one of the things that you know those like the main things that the ring keeps trying to tempt Frodo to do. Um, so when he's trying to hide himself and the ring from the Nazgul and he's feeling this temptation, which derives from the Nazgul to reveal himself to the Nazgul and to go to the Nazgul. uh, Then uh, if he's being drawn towards it, uh, then the ring's going to seize right on that, right? Yeah. Hey, go towards it. That's just the thing, right? Once you put me on and off we go. Um, So yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um Aruran says, which is just another reason for just how concerning the appearance of the Black Riders in Eriador is. It's literally the enemy's ring wielding corps commanders who have left the, the Gondorian Osgiliath front in search of Frodo. Yeah, exactly. This is um the, these are the the they these are the people who crushed the, the Gondorian armies pretty much by themselves, right? I mean, they had help, but they it w- they were the reason why, you know, Boromir was not able to hold, uh, uh to hold them back why they were able to regain the river crossings. Um, and yeah, here they are. Okay. All right. More. I found him, sir. Put in knob. "'Mr. Butterbur sent me out with a lantern. "'I went down to Westgate and then back up towards Southgate. "'Just nigh Bill Fernie's house, "'I thought I could see something in the road. "'I couldn't swear to it, "'but it looked to me as if two men "'was stooping over something, lifting it. "'I gave a shout, but when I got up to the spot "'there was no signs of them, "'and only Mr. Brandybuck lying by the roadside. "'He seemed to be asleep.' I thought I had fallen into deep water, he says to me, when I shook him. Very queer he was, and as soon as I had roused him, he got up and ran back here like a hare. I'm afraid that's true, said Mary, though I don't know what I had had said. I had an ugly dream which I can't remember. I went to pieces. I don't know what came over me. I do, said Strider, the black breath. The riders must have left their horses outside and passed back through the south gate in secret. They will know all the news now for they have visited Bill Fernie, and probably that southerner was a spy as well. Something may happen in the night before we leave Bree. Um, Okay. (laughs) Eric has a proposition that Nob is the real hero of the Lord of the Rings, uh, as powerful as a company of elves driving off a ringwraith. Yes. Okay. So, Good. Wheel Rider and Mad Violinist were both recalling. Mary was having the dream of water, uh, the night, the water nightmare, the flooding nightmare in Tom Bombadil's house, right? Okay. Um. First, who was picking him up? Mary. When Nob rescued him, from whom does Nob rescue him? From whom does Knob rescue Mary? Yes, fourth Dauntless and Mad Violinist, absolutely. Fernie and the Southerner. I, I feel fairly confident in that, right? It's two men who are bending over him. I do not believe that one of them is the Black Rider. Now, so what does this mean? Does this mean that the Nazgul, what, left randomly, right? No, this is him, the Black Rider, capturing Mary, right? This is not to say Bill, like, he's not captured by the Nazgul. He's captured by Bill Fernie instead, right? No, that is him being captured by the Black Rider, right? This is how they're operating. What are they doing, right? They're taking Mary, presumably, into Bill Fernie's house, right? What are they going to do there? Question him. Certainly, they're going to question him, right? Um. Yeah, <laughs> J.J. says the Black Rider's a king. He's unlikely to do his own heavy lifting. Yeah, and not only that... He's also a wraith, um, and not really likely to pick up the body of a hobbit and haul it around. Um, so yeah, Tony, exactly. The Nazgul don't generally interact physically with their enemies. Um, do we ever see them doing that? We haven't yet, right? We haven't yet. Um, we'll get to the stabbing. The stabbing is interesting, right? Uh, and the one time in which arguably this happens, but even that's not simple, right? Because Frodo's wearing the ring when he is stabbed. Um, so we'll get some interactions later on, right? Um, uh, and things are going to change. And, uh, fourth, Thomas, hang on the battle of Pelennor field because the Nazgore are different then. Um, the Nazgul are going to get an upgrade. And I don't just mean Tolkien's going to amp them up in his descriptions. Uh, uh, Tolkien was pretty clear in his sort of ancillary writings about the fact that the Nazgul, uh, they, they, um, they get upgraded before the battle of Pelennor Field. Um, Anyway, uh, so, can the Nazgul pick up Mary and haul him off the street? I don't even know. But to me, that's not even the really important question. The important question is that's the important thing is that's not how they operate, right? The Nazgul did what he wanted to do. He drew Mary after him, which he didn't even know he did. Right. Um. But he sees that he has drawn this hobbit after him and he has overwhelmed Mary. Right. Um, look we'll at Mary's. So it's good. Mary's description again. Um, I felt terrified and I turned back and I was just going to bolt home when something came behind me and I fell over. So the black rider caught him. He's he spying on the black rider. He's followed the black rider. The black rider's talking to Bill Fernie over the hedge. He, Mary is sneaking up. He's not close enough to hear what they say. He suddenly gets scared uh and he turns to run away but the black rider is right there something comes up behind him the black rider comes up behind him and boom he drops right that's the black rider taking mary captive right that what he just did to mary this is our prototype now right we have seen the black riders interact with a victim right Uh, Tony says, I'm sorry. I can't let the Nazgul Dementor connection go. It's okay. Tony, neither could JK Rowling. It's not your fault. Um, uh, yes. Yes. Um, Erica says, so Locho is completely justified in having the Nazgul always incapacitate us, then leave us completely alone to beat up their minions in game. Yes, exactly. That's exactly how it happens in Tolkien too. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, so the Nazgul has overcome Mary, and what we have again. This is the first time we have seen a Black Rider attack anybody, right? Um, we've seen, we've seen them interact with people, right? We've seen we've seen them have conversations with Farmer Maggot and with uh, Gaffer Gamji, but we haven't seen them. Like, attack anybody. We have now. It just attacked Mary, right? And it knocked him out. He was overwhelmed by, like, fear, right? And he fell into an evil dream. I thought I had fallen into deep water, he said, right? I had an ugly dream. I went to pieces. I don't know what came over me, right? So he, his whole spirit mind was overwhelmed by the writer right and he has this sort of visionary experience right that is his you know he had this kind of dream dreaming experience of falling into deep water um, that's what happens based on this scene right this is the one piece of data we have so far in the book to say this is what happens this is what a Nazgul getting you looks like okay and so then what? Then, uh, <laughs> sorry, I just saw Lincoln's comment. No, Mr. Brandybuck, I expect you to die. Um, uh, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> so, right. so I don't think he, I don't, I don't know that he leaves, right? So Ford Thomas is afraid that he's, Leaving him, uh, Mary in this easily escapable death trap and then assuming and then assuming everything went just fine. Yeah, no. It's not exactly like that. Yeah, right, like and I see your response to Fort Thought was there. Yeah, no. Uh <laughs> um not necessarily. Nob. Let's go back to Nob, right? Nob, our heroic figure, right? Coming pelting down the street. Why does Nob save the day? How is Nob able to save the day? Right. Um, I think two things. First, it's Bill Fernie and the Southerner who are picking Mary up and uh, about to take him, again, presumably into Bill Fernie's house. Right. Why do they put him down and run away? Witnesses are kind of, this looks bad, <laughs> right? I mean, it is bad and it also looks bad, right? This both looks foul and feels foul, right? When you see the two guys in the street. And if, if, Nob, if there, if there were to be a witness to them taking a strange hobbit into Bill Fernie's house, like that would be bad, right? So, um, they run before they can be identified. Um, notice that knob doesn't identify, he can't identify them. He can't say that it was Bill Fernie. We can be pretty, he, he observes that this was just nigh Bill Fernie's house, that this all happened. Right. Um, but he can't prove anything and that's why they run away. So, and that seems to me perfectly sensible, right? I mean, if, um, it is dark, remember, so, you know, he can't tell for sure who the people were. Um, but, um, yeah, Molly says yeah, they, they would be placed into that incredibly big Bree Town jail. Yeah, sorry, it's another Locho reference. In game, Bree has an enormous prison. Um, uh, yeah, no, Eric I think he does suspect it. I think he is implying that he believes it was Bill Fernie. Yeah. Um, uh but he's not saying more than he said he's being actually kind of being a good witness here right he's not claiming anything more than he actually saw um yeah yeah um so nob rescues mary because they don't want to uh they don't want to have any witnesses they don't want to be identified there're going to be some que- there would be some questions asked in the morning um, if a hobbit went missing from the prancing pony and a witness saw Bill Fernie bringing the comatose hobbit inside his own house. Right. That's the kind of thing, which even in a, like a small town, like Brie, like you're not going to be able to get away with that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, so it makes perfect sense that they would leave, but what about the black rider? Why does, why does the black rider do anything? I think there's a fairly sensible answer to this question. Eric says, if later events that night hadn't happened, Fernie might still have faced serious questions from Butterbur in the morning. I agree. I agree. Katriana, um, that's a really good uh, point. Katriana says, uh, maybe they recognized Nob's voice and especially didn't want to get caught by one of Butterbur's people. Yet we've seen the kind of influence Butterbur has in the town, right? Butterbur isn't necessarily the magistrate, but if, uh, if Nob, Butterbur's servant, um, is able to bring testimony and I mean, Butterbur, this could, this would be bad, right? Um, Yeah. <laughs> Simon says, if I ever lived in a small town, you can't get away with anything without it stirring up talk. People had already talked about Bill Fernie. Yep. No, very true. Very true. Um, okay. So, but what about the Nazgul? What about the Nazgul? Why doesn't it overwhelm Nub, two? Yeah. Irendus, that's my conclusion as well. Um, I don't think as much as I admire knob, I don't think the Nazgul runs from knob. I think that Bill Fernie and the southerner run from knob because they don't want, again, they don't want his testimony, uh, against him. So they run before cause he's carrying a lantern, right? So they're in the dark. He's carrying a lantern. When they see somebody running down the hill from the pony, carrying a lantern towards them. Um, and he's, he, uh, He gave a shout, right? Yeah, I gave a shout, but when I got up uh, to the spot, there were no signs of them. Yeah. So shouting and running towards them with a lantern, they scamper. That makes good sense, right? The Nazgul has to not be there. Um, I don't think the Nazgul would be afraid of of Nob. Um, And... It would it makes perfect sense. We know that there are several Nazgul in the area. We know that the the Witch King is not far away, and that he has been sending his riders here and there trying to find some clue for where Baggins is, right? Um this is a good lead. And he thinks he has secured the Hobbit and he's you know, he so he's he he knocks Mary out, right? And then he says to Bill Fernie and uh the squint-eyed southerner Take him into the house and hold him, and we'll be back, right? And he goes off to uh, to tell his boss, right? That makes sense. No need to supervise the henchman, Tony. Absolutely, I totally agree. Um, so, um, yeah, <laughs> Blue Wizard asks if uh, if uh, if Mary is neither brave nor silly, which is knob. Brave, no question, right? Knob is brave. Um, because remember, Knob never sees the Black Rider, right? Um, he's just gone out looking for Mary, and all he sees is Mary comatose in the street. Right. He's got to assume this guy works at a pub. Right. He's got to assume that Mary's drunk or something. Right. He's got to have seen more than one comatose person in the street before. Anyway, but he sees a comatose hobbit in the street being like about to be hauled off bodily for goodness knows what reason by two very suspicious looking dudes. Right. And so he runs towards them uh with the confidence of his convictions, apparently, because he goes in one on two. Right. One hobbit against two big people convinced that making a shout and holding a lantern is going to be enough to scare them off, which of course it is right. Small town. Uh, if he continues to shout, he would rouse other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Veronica, I certainly think that he thinks Mary's about to be robbed. Absolutely. There's all kinds of, uh, uh, there's all kinds of uh, bad things that could be happening here. Right. Um yeah. Um Tony, I, I, I bet he does think that he's stopping a mugging. Um absolutely. Absolutely. Um uh... <laughs> Sorry, I <I'm> just reading <laughs> Steve's uh parody. <laughs> when Nob there reared his woolly head, he bravely turned his tail and fled. The Nazgul, meaning uh the tail of the tail of the Nazgul here running away. Um yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh Right, especially by Bill Fernie's house. This has got to be the most suspect part of the whole town, right? Absolutely. Um So therefore I would say so the Nazgul has acted like a Bond villain uh in the sense of Leaving without watching the sort of the final consummation of things here, um, but um, yeah, I, I uh, that again, this doesn't seem to me very strange, given, you know, we know this is obviously not the Witch King himself, right? Um, and he's off, he's off to report. And it seems safe, right? Um, besides which, okay, what's the worst thing that happens, (laughs) right? Even if Bill Fernie and the Southerner can't manage to maintain their control over one comatose Hobbit, right? Even if, even if the comatose Hobbit overcomes them and escapes somehow, right? He knows they're in town, right? He, 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 he knows where they are. He knows where to find them. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. We are pretty good. This is knob's finest hour Bruinier. this image of knob running, shouting down the road with his lantern, right? Uh, rescuing one of the clients of the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the patrons of the inn, uh, from mugging or murder, right. Or something, Um, you know, that knob, he might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's, uh, he's a good guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Matt Violina says Fernie wouldn't have been able to identify him as Mary never came into the common room, which begs the question why they would be ordered to kidnap him. Um, because he's a hobbit, right? I mean, I, like, are you Baggins, or have you heard of Baggins? Do you know anything about? I mean, I, I, I would think, and that's another reason. Like, it's not like the Nazgul has left the ring of power behind, right? He's not gone full Bond villain on this, right? Um, what just happened here from the Nazgul's point of view? What just happened here, right? Um, there are two things. So, there's a strange Hobbit, right? That's a bonus. He's not even going to the Witch-king to report the random hobbit they just caught, right? That's a again, that's a bonus. He's going to report what he just heard from Bill Ferny because Bill Ferny just told that Nazgûl, the story of the man in the the man in the moon song, right? He has just heard an account of Frodo's performance in the common room. So vanishing Hobbit, right? Spontaneously disappearing Hobbit performs at the prancing pony. That's the news that he's running off with. What would the witch King say if he was like, so I heard very definite news that the ring of power, the, you know, the ring bearer is probably in the prancing pony, but I'm going to wait while I interrogate Joe random Hobbit over here. Uh, because that's just what the witch King would like. Heck no. Right. He's going to go. He's going to say, okay. Let's interrogate this hobbit and see if he knows anything about this. You take him into the house and ask him some questions. Meanwhile, I'm going to take the really big news back to the Witch King. So, uh, again, they don't even know who Mary is. They've never seen him before, as you point out. But also... They didn't even like, he wasn't part of the plan. He's just, he's literally just there. Like, why is this hobbit there? Like all of a sudden, hang, hang on a second. Wait, do you hear something? I hear something too. It's a random hobbit over here. Oh, you know, like eavesdropping on us, right? Here, I'll knock him out. Now you take him into the house. Anyway, whatever. I'm going back. Um, So, you know, why do I think they want to interrogate him? Um, Because, well, that's a guess. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just saying to get rid of, maybe he's just saying to get rid of them or something, but I would think they would at least wonder or suspect. Um, I could imagine a brief conversation between the Nazgul and Bill Fernie. So Mary kills over, boom, right? Mary's just hit the dirt. The Nazgul hasn't left yet. I could imagine the Nazgul being like, you know, Hey, is this one of the local hobbits? And Bill Fernie being like, "Uh, I never seen this one before. Um, And so the Nazgul might conclude maybe this is one of those because he knows that there are three other hobbits, right? We've got the ring bearer hobbit and there are three other ones too. Is this Baggins? It's probably not Baggins. Maybe it's Baggins. Probably he searches him for a ring of power, I'm guessing. I'm going to go out on a whim and guess that the Nazgul would search Mary's body for a ring of power. Not finding the ruling ring on the person of this strange hobbit, he would conclude that he's not Baggins, but maybe he knows something about Baggins. So hang on to him, right? The fact that Bill Fernie and the Southerner are picking him up and carrying him away, again, I have to assume, into Bill Fernie's house, suggests that the Nazgul said that that's what they should do, right? Um... Uh, yes, Simon. They do know that there are a party of four hobbits coming out of the Shire. So he knows that the Ring bearer would ha- has three companions. So the idea again, Fernie would know that this was a strange- even though he didn't see him in the common room. He would know that this hobbit is a stranger. So that's why I would. I mean, interrogation. I would sort of assume uh, what um, uh, that that was what uh, that that was what happened there. Um, so anyway, yeah, but. What their plans exactly were for Mary, uh, who knows? And they don't really get a chance. Um, but um, but yeah, the, the Nazgul absolutely wouldn't. I mean, I, I think the Nazgul know pretty well that the Ring of Power is at the Prancing Pony right now. And again, that's really big news. But it's time to report now, right? This Nazgul's got to go back to the Witch King with this news. Because what's he supposed to do? Attack the Prancing Pony? Right. Nazgul don't act like that, right? Certainly not here. Certainly not now in Bree. So go back and report while it's night, right? And tell the witch king what's going on. And let's make a plan. Right. So all of that makes sense. I don't think this is, the. I don't think the Nazgul is, act, is acting weird or that it's like especially convenient that he leaves Mary again. Who, who that heck is Mary might be useful, maybe as in useful information, but it's not, there is literally nothing they could extract from Mary in the way of information that would be more useful than what Bill Ferny just told him. Right. Uh, uh, magical invisible hobbit staying at the prancing pony. That, again, that's the headliner right there. Um, yeah, so, okay. Um, okay, so several people wanting to talk about bed stabbings. Nah, we'll get there. We'll get there where we're not getting of course is quite to the end of this chapter though. You have to admit we got further along than it kind of looked like we were going to get for a while there. Right. But this was cool. Uh, we discovered lots of really fun things that I've never really thought about, uh, uh, that I've never really thought about before, uh, here tonight. Um, but, uh, but it's field trip time. So I'm going to stop here. We have, what do we have? Like three? Yeah. One, two, three. Yep. We've got three slides left. Um, uh, so we're totally not only are we going to finish next time, we're going to finish and start chapter 11 next time. Totally happening. Um, OK, cool. So. Uh, so thanks for bringing to say goodbye to the Twitter folks and uh, you can everybody can switch over to Twitch, to the Twitch channel here, twitch.tv TV um, slash uh, So thanks, Twitter folks, for joining me. Let's say goodbye here somehow. There we go. Okay, no. Alright. Good. And Amethorn <laughs> predicts three more classes before the end of the chapter. Ha ha. Okay. Yeah, so we're on Gladden tonight, and give me a minute, I will log myself in. Where am I? Oh yeah, rebooting my stupid thing. Hang on a minute. Okay.
1: All right. Don't think you're alone in that. I think we got a lot of AFKs on this one. (laughs) Yeah. Good evening, everyone.
0: Hey there. Okay. What? Okay. Sorry.
1: Being silly again.
0: Yes. Acting in newfound strange ways. Okay.
1: I'd, I'd quote Brave New World, but that's Tempest, not Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, man, I'm so excited when we talk about Macbeth. That was my—that was like the one play where I'm like, this Shakespeare dude's actually really fun.
0: Oh man, I love Macbeth. Well, I had
1: just moved to England, like that was fun enough. Yeah, and then cool. my English class starts doing English history and English literature, so that was our first introduction to Shakespeare. And then they—I think we did. Uh, probably romeo and julia it was just that eh, was a snooze but, but you know then it, it was but it, then we were told to pick any play we want ah. read like the abridged shepherd version and do a presentation on it okay uh, me and my best friend andrew helmo picked macbeth nice i did a 30 minute shadow <laughs> puppet presentation of Macbeth just me and Andrew doing all the characters and I think the playback was uh, Shakespeare animated tales which had just come out that year right so I had like the the anime 30 minute condensed version with uh, Zoe Wanamaker as Lady Macbeth
0: nice
1: oh we had so much fun I loved doing all those witches and those bloody prophecies and they were so great and so cool and so violent
0: oh yeah no Macbeth is great it's really uh, I was really disappointed because my uh, son's ninth grade class this year, um, they were going to do, they did Romeo and Juliet last year, and this year they were going to do Macbeth, which was great. I'm like, okay, you know, Macbeth is, it's like, it's the perfect tragedy. I mean, I think it's, it's a really wonderful uh it's totally the if I were, you know, teaching Shakespearean tragedies in high school, like it's absolutely the one I would do. Yeah, if you yeah. want to get
1: freshman boys to pay attention, oh, you just man. do the blend and guts. Is so
0: good. Do the blend and guts. It's so good. But it's not even just about that. It's just about uh, see, but for thoughtless that was a the problem. Then she she changed it. Halfway through the <laughs> year, she was like, Nah, we're not doing Macbeth, we're gonna do King Lear instead. And I was like, Oh man, you've got to be <sighs> kidding me. Like like don't get me wrong. King Lear is one of the like greatest works of english literature in all of history one of the greatest possibly one of the greatest works of human art however it is way over the head of ninth graders like I mean yeah. I, you know the last time I read King Lear i was like maybe 35 and I'm like you know I'm still not old enough for this play like i like it's i know I don't yeah. really fully get it
1: yeah, fourteen-year-olds can really relate to the 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 lingering threat of mortality and aging, and watching your children get older and yeah, defy I mean, you.
0: All this, I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. There's so much in King Lear, um, but yeah, it's just it's yeah. too much. It is just too much. Yeah, it's, and, and it's I
1: didn't understand one lick of it when I was no, a kid.
0: No, yeah. I mean, I read it. it I don't. I, I don't think I really got it at all um, for yeah. like the first four times I read it, and then even after that, I was like. Okay, I still only feel that I am like you know, seeing around the like very fringes of what's going on here. So, yeah, um, yeah,
1: I still don't know why people name their daughter Reagan. <laughs> yeah, I do not get
0: that. Yeah, um, but um, but yeah, so no, I I just I, again, it's not that I dislike King Lear; it's that I admire the heck out of King Lear. I think it's 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 amazing, but it's just too amazing for high school kids it's it's not a yeah. it it's a terrible introduction to like shakespearean tragedy um
1: mm-hmm.
0: i'd go with Macbeth, not not only would i go i'd i'd go with othello if i mean othello's a little racier right you know you get lots more sex mm-hmm. jokes in in uh uh you know a much more sexually oriented plot obviously uh in yep. othello but um but still i mean still way better like they're way readier for the kind of stuff that goes on uh yeah uh, that well, goes on in Othello than they are for what goes on in lear definitely anyway. well what had just
1: come out in the yeah, theaters uh, then was uh in, yeah kendeth as much okay. ado about nothing yeah so yeah that was as as a soppy 12 year old girl with dreams of romance that was actually a pretty good one
0: yeah no i mean i i i like a lot of uh Brunner's shakespeare adaptations actually not all, yeah. but he—he
1: uh, he is Benedict. He is.
0: <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a particularly yeah. good one. That's the one with Keanu Reeves, isn't it? As uh, yeah, uh, I
1: would. Oh, my brother and I do a great impersonation. of oh him. my goodness. I would rather be a thorn in his side than a bird <laughs> in his grace. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, let me be as I am and seek not to alter me. <laughs>
0: Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, man, canaries just not, <sighs> not really ready for the shakespearean Shakespeare. stage. Yeah, yeah, no, God
1: yeah. bless him. Glad he's doing, glad he's doing Ted again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, okay, so we're going, <laughs> where All are right. we going? We're going to Angmar again. Um, and I, I go like before, we have uh little choice, so let's though, actually, I want to, so let's go to Esteldine from there. I don't want to slow horse. I want to. I want to ride it from there because I want to go a different way. Okay. Um. But uh, okay. Yeah. So because I, I want to go um, tonight, I want to explore the l- pretty much the last part of Angmar that we can go before we cross the statues. <laughs> so and so, I want to go up the uh, the other path. Where we okay. went at the beginning, n- near where we went at the beginning. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, yeah. All right. Mount it. All right. Here we are. We'll just wait for a few other stragglers in case there are any. Um, but. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so, so I, 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 by like the fiasco of my son not reading Macbeth, I've already had like Macbeth on the brain a little bit. That's fun. I Tell had to now. really, I had to really restrain myself too because, uh, you know, he was. Tell me he's like, Oh yeah, so I have a I have a I have an English quiz and I'm like, Oh what's your quiz on? And she's like, It's on, you know, stuff about tragedy and I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. Uh, I'm no. like tell me tell me you didn't get taught about tragic flaws. And he's like, Yeah, we learned about tragic flaws and I'm like, Oh um, uh do I tell him now about how that's all like a mistake and a mistranslation of Aristotle, or do I wait till after the so as not to undermine his teacher? Uh, Uh,
1: Wait till he starts writing fiction and then point out tragic flaws, not a character, uh, not a character trait.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not like something, it's not like a congenital defect Macbeth was born with.
1: And that's what I love about, you know, off, yeah. Aragorn as a character. So many people have tried to ape Aragorn and Strider as a character by making them these sort of lone wolf characters with tragic flaws. Right. Now, right. a the point of Aragorn has this air of tragedy about him, but we don't spend the entire time thinking about what a tragic figure he is. Right. He brings exactly. that to the character without hitting us over the head with how how maligned he is and even yeah, you
0: know, it's actually a it's actually a really good um um it's actually a really good point about sort of tragedy in tolkien right Tra- you know tolkien's uh-huh. great at tragedy but tragedy is yeah, all Stil- about... still tragedy at yeah, the wazoo,
1: that's the other one
0: yeah it's all but, about it's all about doom right I mean it's it's you know I touring Turinbar, Tur- Tur- right? Obviously, the most <laughs> tragic figure uh, in all of Tolkien. And you can talk about, like, you know, if you wanted to, 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 if you like insisted on doing a tragic flaw analysis of Turin, you could come up with stuff. I mean, that's the thing. That's why, oh, sure. That's why high school English English classes do this because, you know, that gets, it's easily doable. You know, you can make it work. But, um, well,
1: it's easier to study when it's over the top, too.
0: Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to oversimplify it. And, uh, and as I say, kind of make it work out. But, um, and you could do, whoa, hang on, my camera angle just went funny. Um, uh, You, you can, uh, that's what happens when I sometimes and I'm trying to use my trackpad instead of my mouse. Um, uh, Anyway, so wait, where's that? Okay, so I'm looking for the, uh, we're, we're going to go through the big old gate. I think so. Go this way till it gets all brown and scrubby. Yeah, make sure we're heading the right direction there. Yes, we are. Okay. Um. So, uh. But anyway, yeah. So it, the the tragedy is really, I think, intriguingly complex. And just to think about Turin for a minute, right? On the one hand, he's doomed. He's cursed, right? Mm-hmm. That's the tragedy of uh of uh, of Turin. Is that you know his fate. Leads him to destruction. And there's, you know, the, the, uh, you know, I love that, uh, that passage, uh, in the Silmarillion where, uh, Turin hears the, uh, the footfalls of his fate overtaking him, right? Uh-huh. Um, uh, which is really great. But at the same time, it's not just, that he's also not just like an innocent lamb being, you know, led to the slaughter either. Like he also his own choices are involved, you know. Is is his doom something that's brought about by himself, or is it something that is you know imposed upon him by the will of Morgoth? And the answer is very clearly both. Right, both of those things.
1: Just like just like Macbeth, you know, the whole did the witches set things into events, or would his you know would would things still have taken their course even if he hadn't known what was going to happen?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, I do think. Looking at not the like typical high school English version of you know like the tragic flaws and stuff, but um, uh-huh. but really looking at tragedy, even especially something like Macbeth. Um, uh, I think you, you know you really can see, I think, some ways in which this is uh, 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 this is all it's all in Shakespeare. Yeah,
1: it's all in Shakespeare. But that being said, now we go back to our Lord of the Rings characters, that one, the tragedy is more understated, and he's not hitting us over the head with these epic fairy tale characters. We're suddenly seeing very realistic people.
0: Right, right. Sorry, I'm consulting my map here to make sure I'm going the right way. Okay. Yes, exactly. So I'm really bad at doing two things at once, so I'm very likely just to like run down the wrong road while having a okay. conversation. Um, uh,
1: oh, someone got dismounted. Hang on. Uh oh. <laughs> I gotta. Sorry. We got some.
0: Yeah, we've got. Low levels here, so... All right, we have not many people with us, and.
1: I'm not that good a warden, so. <laughs>
0: okay, all right. I
1: okay. suspect there are better ways of going about it, but
0: no problem um anyway yeah so so question who was asking the question um what like what to that someone's asking me to elucidate about the whole tragic flaw thing um the so the the Greek word from Aristotle is hamartia, um and people translate that like you know there's like you know he says like that each tragic person has some. Hamartia. Um, the translation of that as tragic flaw is a mistranslation. Like it doesn't mean tragic flaw in the sense of like this person has just like a personality flaw which makes them do wrong things. Like hemartia, yeah. it means like sin, fault. Like when uh-huh. you do something wrong, you have committed a Hamartia. Um, Heim meaning blood something? No, 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 not heme. Uh, uh, oh, him, sorry. yeah Sorry, ham. It's yeah, it's it's uh, it, yeah, it's totally different. Um,
1: I can't hear you how you're spelling it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's it just it it means it means like something that you do wrong, right? Like you so like uh, uh, Macbeth's hamartia is not arrogance or ambition. You know, vaulting Ugris. ambition is normally what is you know identified as. Um, and we're, we're probably, we're getting, yes, we've got, uh... We're,
1: yeah, we're, we're getting kited here. here. Hang, Hang on. Yeah. Let's, let's call this herd a bit.
0: Okay, let's see.
1: Got our little kite tail, don't we?
0: Okay, there we go. Oh. Excellent. There we go. Um, okay, so anyway, right, so it's his... It, It's not that he has a personality flaw, which leads him into inescapable tragedy. It's that he does something bad, which leads Uh to, um, which leads to tragedy. Like his Hamartia is killing the king, right? It's not, it's not, it's not like that he's an ambitious fellow, you know, and that's what leads him into, into trouble. Um, Anyway, but it's just, yeah, uh, there's, there is a long centuries old tradition of like radically oversimplifying. Um, oh, okay. There's a lot of, tragedies. a
1: lot of mops here. We're not going to be able to kite through this. Yes, I've no, tried. This, and
0: this is, <laughs> but uh, more importantly, this is actually what I'm wanting to
1: look okay, at. Good.
0: So, All right. Yes. We have come to the destination, not another distraction. So, okay. So where we are on the map, if we look at the map here, um, we are, okay, so Al-Qa'ir is over here, the Fasak-Loran, and so this is the city that we were exploring last time. Uh, up here, we've got karn Doom up on the mountaintop. We were looking at it up in the distance from where we were down here. Um, we are now here, so we're further, we're in the southeast corner of this westernmost part of Angmar.
1: Mm-hmm. We're not under the force field yet, it looks.
0: No, not. Um, so the, this area here, which is marked as occupied as like a town on the map, um, we can already see what kind of area we are looking at because, ooh, the full moon rising behind this guy is looking pretty ominous. I do,
1: it's so picturesque. Yeah,
0: we have one of these, oh man, look at that. (laughs) Eldritch. So we have another one of these statues that we've been looking at before, um, this in a slightly different posture from the other ones, right? I don't remember the other one's mouth being open like this.
1: The other ones look more like they were trying to get a head start in a speed skating race, and this yes. one's more going, boo, boobity-boobity, yes. boobity, kind of,
0: it's like a, in, in full, like, what, warning against or attacking? it? When you come around the corner like that, it's right here, right? Looking at you yeah. extremely threateningly. Ah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and I don't see, other than its posture and attitude, I don't see any real differences between this and the other statues we've been Mm -hmm. looking at.
1: Oh, we lost the moon and got the purple lightning now, don't we?
0: Yes. Uh, The moon is just behind that hill, I think, now.
1: Well, no, where I'm standing, it's all purple lightning now. The moon's gone.
0: Right. No, I I think the moon is just not high enough. I think it's just right behind this. We were getting the purple lightning before, too. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's anyway,
1: atmospheric maybe.
0: So when we come over here, I well, wouldn't we need to go, we don't we don't need to fight everybody in this whole area, but yeah. um or you can if you want to. But um I'll
1: just get one in front. I don't Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. The thing that we notice here is we see an old fortification and also a wooden palisade. Now, I don't want to go yeah, all the way through this gate because this gate is interesting in the fact that there's a cliff right on the other side of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is the same style of stonework that we've been seeing around, right? Like, this is, thinking mm-hmm. back to the the different kind of phases of construction that we were looking at in the ruin that we were examining last time.
1: Yeah, that strange, oily, patina, dark metal.
0: Yeah, I think this is the... This is the old Angmar, or is it the? Is this new building on the old? Is 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 the black part new, and the, the 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 sort of foundation stone old? Is that what like we think? Like they put of a living? cap on it. Kind of looks um, like it I almost doesn't it.
1: I don't know the part of the this bit on the side with the lines coming down almost looks like it's made to be seamless. Like it's part of the same construction.
0: Right. Yeah. And looking at it a little more closely, on the side, the kind of color mottling, the even the black part on top, would seem to suggest that it's old too. Okay, so let's say mm-hmm. these are from the same period then, mm-hmm. and I would say the old period. So this is Old Angmar has constructed this. Okay, mm-hmm. but now we have the old fortification. And we have the new this wooden palisade is probably No, so now don't go running through here, because there's a cliff. Yeah. And you can't get back up. Um so we can see this wall continuing around as if almost as if this cliff were itself like inhabited, like there were It's just weird how the wall goes along the cliff.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost like the, the the functional part is that sort of long gallery part. Yes,
0: as if it's like something built into the walls here, right?
1: Yeah, some uh, sort of archery blockade yeah. kind of thing. Because clearly it didn't need these little wooden dealies here. This is an after.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but It's right, almost so- like they couldn't get into the
1: old design. That's why they had to build these new ones.
0: Yes. Maybe it's fallen away. Maybe there's...
1: Or the doors closed or it's too broken up inside
0: to go yeah. inside. Yeah. Possibly. Um
1: Oh, remember the f- the giant fish hook from last time? How it was, we couldn't understand yes. why it wasn't why it was not it was new and shiny? Yes. Right? I did pop over to Inumino, the ruins uh-huh. of Inuminous, where they have the, a lot of the old fish hooks there. They yes. were that same purpley greeny dark metal.
0: Yeah, same purpley greeny dark metal. Not
1: okay. the new shiny metal that we saw. The new fish hook in.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So that was so that definitely was like, yeah, this is the, this is the, a new addition that's new based on the old design.
0: On the, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's the new order of Angmar. Okay.
1: Uh-huh.
0: But of course, the fact that we have these wooden palisades butting right up against these old walls shows that we have. Oh, see, look, there's a goblin right there among us, um, <laughs> because this is a goblin camp down below yeah so we've got goblins and orcs who are I guess newly recruited because they and, don't, they don't yeah. seem indigenous here like they don't live here these are these are new they're living in tents right um, yeah so and they're not familiar
1: with the terrain they're getting lost and fighting with each other and not sure how to push things down what path and whatever
0: right exactly Um. yeah Ooh, I'm helping. Um, (laughs) Actually, this reminds me. I should... This will also help. Um, (laughs) Interesting that we get... So notice these uh, uh, kind of concentric um, barriers here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that not con- sort of concentric in style. We had the the gateway guarded by the statue, and now we have these palisades with these palis- guarded palisaded gateways here, uh, one after another. Um, again, these sort of temporary fortifications that are built up. Three sets now here of gates. Yeah. Um. Guarding again goblin camps though it's interesting to me that these palisades they're rough i mean they're wooden but they're not nearly as rough as most of the goblin built things yeah. that we've seen there are no skulls so. there's no blood painting there's no wolf it, the, head totems or anything like that
1: yeah look how, how look how uh, how you know how how these things are uh, flash with one another right here they, this is right this is Definitely an Angmar architect
0: I think so. Here. I think that these are, they're kind of, I don't know, they're sort of temporary-ish, you know, and uh-huh. and comparatively new. But mm-hmm. even that, like the cross piece, I'm looking at the cross piece here, right?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, that's a squared board. Yeah,
1: we, with we, pretty uh, good iron fastenings on yes,
0: it. Yes, exactly. And we haven't seen, even the spikes there have iron studs on them. Um and I don't remember seeing anything like that. We we're just, you know, we ju- always saw from the goblins were mostly sharpened sticks. Um sticks. <laughs> yeah, point head sticks. Yeah, pointed sticks. So, uh um and yeah, uh, uh Mungley, I agree there and there are no totems we've always seen um even if uh-huh. the totems were like goblin heads themselves, right? The, there there was always uh, did, have we ever seen goblin fortifications or things of this kind oh. without well, they, they were less
1: fortifications and more of a "this part mine, that part yours" yeah, kind of Yeah, yeah,
0: like defensive barriers and and boundaries and things like that. Okay, yeah, more of these walls built into. Now
1: this it does yes. remind me a little bit of some of the orc fortifications that we see in North Downs when we start going right. to the side of the the path after the Trestle Bridge. Right, right. But um, I believe there's some Angmar architects involved there too, or am I mistaken?
0: I don't remember.
1: Because st- uh, the rope bridges in particular look similar to that.
0: Okay, I, I have to get rid of this shouting guy, or else, like, he's just going to die.
1: I hate those guys. <laughs>
0: and then he yeah! keeps shouting posthumously <laughs> for like 30 more seconds. Um, uh, fire effect. Here's what I'm confused about, however, and that is this smoke, it's not actually pink, right? No, I think it's more like the... Well, f- oh, there's some st- strange colors in
1: this fire, I do admit. There's...
0: Right, that's what I don't understand.
1: <laughs> I wonder if they're burning some magical items in there, or mm. some cursed stuff.
0: That's what I'm trying to figure out, so... A lot of boxes of things. Yeah, there's definitely... St- That's a shield. There's a shield in there. It's not decorated, though. I wanted to see if this was a shield like the shields that we saw, you know, the Tray of Glory have. Uh,
1: That could be any round metal, anything.
0: Yeah, it really could. And we've got these banners, which are improbably in cloths, which are improbably not yet burning. Maybe they were very soaked.
1: They look like Arvadui kind of...
0: Yeah, so I guess this is just... Why the
1: boxes? Are they burning their food supply?
0: (laughs) Who knows? It's a little strange. I guess it's just like anything loose that was wooden. Yeah.
1: Without a lot of thought put into it, you wonder if someone got in trouble for some of the things that are burning in there.
0: Right.
1: Maybe that's the strange colors, too. Maybe it's some of those
0: strange goblin
1: poisons in there or something. Yeah, I don't know. This looks like a meteor crater, doesn't it?
0: Right. That's what I'm wondering. Like, is this a natural crater that they were just like, we need to build a fire that is proportional to this? Or why do they need a fire of this size? What's going Single. on with this fire? <sighs> yeah. I don't really know. I don't get this at all. See, this is yeah, the kind like, of fire I would expect in the middle of the... And this it is, of it course, looks the like camp. They... That's the cliff yeah. that we were on the top side of just a little while before.
1: Yeah, I don't think they made that pit. I think that was a natural thing that they decided to take advantage of.
0: And they decided not to make k- a not to make a campfire of this kind, but no, an enormous a bonfire,
1: communal just, trash pile slash toilet, probably.
0: Okay, because they just they're just they're just burning things. It's it's the town dump, as Crystal Aowen says. Um,
1: yeah, we like explosives. Kaboom!
0: Yeah, I guess. Oh dear. There's not a roving that's threat it. in this camp, is there?
1: Uh, no. I, that's the fire. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a roving threat too. That's no, the actually the fire
0: quest on the map. just popped up.
1: Oh, oh, it's because you're. Oh, because you're the level that you are.
0: Yeah. I well, just,
1: good. You can. There's clear of it.
0: Yeah, I just want to make sure. Okay. Hang on. Where is it?
1: If you mouse over any red bits,
0: it'll. Okay. No, I don't see any red bits, fortunately. Okay. All right but I've got it on my quest thing, so I'll flash yellow if we get close to it or if it gets close to us. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, anyway. Anyway, all right. So uh, I was really interested by the the towers and walls set in the cliff faces. Oh, okay. Now, now here's this. So mm-hmm. here... Wow, the, yeah. That banner, because that, that's a banner. That's cloth up there.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Sorry I am just sicking my ego on these things. Okay. Um Okay. So, theory. Uh-huh. Theory is that that gateway thing, so like the main kind of archway there is old construction, but uh-huh. the that the t- okay, so the eagle's being in a little inconvenient here. Um <laughs> it's like right in my line of sight blocking what I'm trying to write. Uh, okay. That
1: is the problem with
0: Okay. Sorry. So um uh I think that this the frame that's holding the banner up top is new.
1: Yeah, I agree. It looks exactly like the new metal we saw, and the exactly. new totem. we saw.
0: Exactly, and it looks so, and it's different from the from the old stone and metal. Uh, so that we, ha- so this is an old Angmarim construction, but they've erected this new thing just to display this banner, which is displayed cool really looking. prominently, and it's it's huge. Okay,
1: they definitely got that out of mothballs. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, it's all raggedy. So what is it? I can't
1: uh, see it. I, is it an iron? Well, it's like definitely some sort of crown looking, but it's
0: it looks not, like a crown. What was there an archway beneath it?
1: Yeah, it looks like an archway. It does look very much like the sort of arabesque archway we've seen.
0: I can't remember. I remember, before, but I can't remember ever seeing this banner anywhere. Me neither. And I feel like we should
1: see it's it. It's really um, interesting. Maybe we're going to see it inside card Doom.
0: Maybe. Is this an old Carn Doom banner, in which case it's in pretty poor shape? Now, we know that orc and Goblin banners are often in very poor shape, right, when they display them. They're often mm-hmm. ragged. Um, that's not surprising. But... Um, This looks
1: really like good and fallen into disrepair. Though you almost feel like it's supposed to go the whole length.
0: Exactly. Yes, you do. I do, which leads me to suspect that this is not their banner, but that this is a captured banner. Like it's supposed to be ragged because it's been taken from the enemy in battle, right, or something.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Well. Or just. T- taken out of some forgot it 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 implies that the the new flag stand is based off, off of one that might have possibly been there before and they've rebuilt it maybe and they and they found what was left of the flag and put it up
0: maybe yeah so i mean cuz that does look like a crown but it of course doesn't look like the iron crown and it's you know it's gold we've never seen the iron crown of angmar
1: no. Golden and, and it's
0: not proportioned like that either. And it's, the archway
1: looks familiar but I'm not, I can't put in place to that style of arabesque archway.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. Not
1: really sure where I've seen that. I know I have, but I've been lots of places in Middle-earth now so I'm, my and, memory's failing on me on that one.
0: And I can't remember this arch. So anyway, if anybody knows where we can <laughs> see either another version of this same raggedy version of this standard up closer or where we could find a, uh, um, where we could find a, a better version of it, like a, an untorn version, uh, of this. I would love to learn that. I would love to, f- to, to know where we could see that. Cause I don't know where to yeah,
1: know. give us a screen grab or, or give us the coordinates or something like that. And we'll try to make a trip out. Yeah. On a different server. Exactly.
0: Um, okay. Well, there's one more part of this area that we can look at. I know it's getting late because I stay yeah. late in class, but we'll just—I'll just explore around the corner here. Man, the
1: terrain here, uh, like these these sort of granite-looking rocks, really do look like they're eating what was left of the old architecture. You can tell there's been not just a change of governments here. There's been, like, tectonic shifts since.
0: Yes. Ooh, look, a tree. Something we haven't seen in any any of these camps over here. Up here in this other camp. Over here, oh. so this is an adjacent camp. But now notice that we get here camps that are... I keep hitting the wrong... Oh, yeah, it is
1: thing. like a... Yeah.
0: This looks just like the... Like in Algaire, like the Tray In fact, it's got oh, like yeah, the yeah. standard uh, uh, weapons rack here.
1: Weapons rack, orange segment.
0: Ooh, bunk beds. Trisco. Hey, that's huh? fun
1: we oh, yeah. got in here. Oh. Hey, those are totally like Eglane run bunk beds there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. The, oh, hang on a second. I see somebody being shot here. Okay.
1: Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah they'll do that.
0: And this pavilion here, this tent, uh-huh. looks just like we saw out. On the North Downs, we also see some of these in Algeir, don't we? Mm -hmm. And they look like the ones that we see in a as well.
1: Yep. Oh, and there's your other Eldritch statue with a different pose on there. That one's not bending over. He looks like he's... He looks like he's getting his towel off and ready to get in the bath.
0: (laughs) He kind of does. He kind of does. (laughs) Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, look at this big old tree here. I know. Is it coming, teasing me. About is it coming tree, out of the geyser?
0: I. I don't know. I'm trying to go around the base of it here. It looks like. So this tree is completely dead. It was... This is really strange.
1: It's devoured by the geyser?
0: That's not
1: how they work.
0: Like, it... Yeah, because its root system starts down here. It's almost like the ground has been... Has fallen... But
1: this is where but this looks as the same feature as the poison pools down yeah, there. Yeah, like,
0: the, like a, one of the fumarole things from down there. Yeah, it's that, like a yeah.
1: weird flower vase.
0: Huh. maybe we are supposed to understand that this is some kind of uh you know um what's the word that I'm looking for? Um building up over time accretion like some kind of accretion of of uh
1: mineral deposits
0: yeah, like a tree engulfing stalagmite but where from and how i have no idea maybe um, it's a
1: petrified tree
0: yeah well the tree is dead it's encased in stone
1: yeah i i i don't even want to. i don't know that's like i'm racking my brain for anything you know I don't know of symbiotic, geo, geological, and botanical right. hybrids at all. Right. So I think we're just supposed to use our imagination and assume this is just some really cursed
0: tree. <laughs> but that's the interesting thing. The thing that's interesting to me is that it's here. Like, yeah, this was a great tree. Like, this was an enormous tree, and it's been kept. Like, here it is dead and preserved even partially fossilized right based on its mm-hmm. based on the, uh, you know on the, on the on the bottom of it um mm-hmm. and it's been preserved like the yeah. goblins from the next camp over haven't cut it down and used it to feed their un- disproportionately large fire right um hmm. like no one's burned it or used it for construction why not they're are, afraid of it are they afraid of it Maybe. Does it is it does it mean something? Is, is there... it
1: turning to stone and they can't cut it down? Is it too big? Yeah. Was it considered a waste of effort?
0: I don't know. It's just like I can't see an enormous tree like this. Um I can't see an enormous tree like this in the middle of a you know, this big courtyard uh-huh. and not think of Gondor, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where my brain went to.
0: Yeah. I mean it's just Yeah, to me that's even more important than the like the mechanics of the I mean, I wasn't even looking at the weird sort of fossilized mud or calcification or whatever else. But but yeah, it must have some meaning to them, Amethorn. It's hard to imagine that this was like that it's like Gondor, right? That this was once a living tree, which is being preserved in reverence, right? That just doesn't fit. It's like not in the Angmarim idiom, you know? Um, So, um, Ah. what then? Would it be more in their idiom would be, this was once a great tree that, you know, was... um, this was once a great tree that was, like, you know, good and famous and excellent and has been conquered and destroyed and kept as a trophy, you know, after uh-huh. it was dead. That's kind of more, would seem to be more in the Angmarim idiom, but what then could it be? Um, hmm. Which raises the question, the broader question, what was this place anyhow? Angmar. Yeah. Anyhow. You know? Like, before Karn Doom was built.
1: You think that the, the, the some point the people were... This, this was like a prosperous kind of... You know, if it's the illusion of this is going to be the peaceful well, country and we're going to protect everybody. And, cause you wonder,
0: the, right? I mean, there were a lot of dead trees and stuff out there in the Fosaklorod. I mean, it looked like it would have once been a lush and green, you know, hill country over there. Um, Uh So clearly the land was not always like this. You know, what we're seeing here is a desolation that has been created by, you know, the presence of evil for a long period of time. Uh, And this tree would seem to be a kind of symbol of that.
1: Maybe it's clinging on to life, like just by like a, bare thread or something like that. Maybe no matter what has happened it it's not going down.
0: Maybe. Maybe it's still alive. In which case you think they would totally kill it. Um <laughs> I don't know. But wife.
1: No, no, I'm not doing that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Could it be an ant wife, yeah. No. 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 Definitely not an ant wife. Uh, Sorry,
1: I was I was I was playing the silly card there on that one. Yeah. With the, well, no, that was knowing, the, knowing the, what, the, in what in I know Twitch, about the developers in then. the Twitch chat.
0: too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Noxy Key was saying, "Is it a captive? I mean, it almost looks like it's imprisoned, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's, it's yes. like a tree in leg irons here, you know." mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah,
1: like maybe the dark sorcerer's called up a blight on it or something.
0: Right. I don't know. And then all around here, because it, it, it looked past the tents, right? Forget about the tents, mm-hmm. which are obviously new and temporary structures. Mm-hmm. Look at what this would have been when this tree was green. A courtyard. A courtyard. And all around, we've got these cliffs on three sides. Okay, two sides. We've got a wall on the third side, and these walls set into the cliffs all around. This would have been a big courtyard. So apparently this whole... So these walls are not defensive structures. These walls are, what the outer faces at least of. So like that, this whole this was a this was a city that was set into the walls
1: here. Like a re, yeah, like residences in the
0: cliffs. Right. So yeah. Like, yeah. So that people lived inside like the a, cliffs and.
1: Like a like a circular lead kind of deal.
0: Right. Right. Um. And this was a big it's, old. Corridor. It's a reminder.
1: It, it's a reminder that the witch king was once a human who had who needed fresh air Maybe. who needed you know renewable resources who Is, needed I mean, beautiful things to look at you know
0: the the walls you know the buildings the habitations here built into the cliffs all around this courtyard that housed this great huge tree which towers even over the walls even equal to the lower portions of this tower set up in the cliffside Higher up down there to the south, um, uh-huh. this huge tree obviously would have been there, you know, when all maybe the, not this big, this <laughs> yeah, maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't this big, but maybe it was. I mean, maybe it's been dead for you know hundreds of years. I don't know, mm. but um, yeah. Deathman 42 is asking is it a sapling of the white tree now corrupted um i again like this seems like a deliberate echo
1: it does it just, it's it does feel like like just some sort of lost seed <laughs> that found its way into a kingdom of man it was not entitled to be in yeah or was not entitled to have it i should say
0: are we then to understand that, in a sense, the kingdom of Angmar, as it was originally constituted, because all of this is old construction, we're not seeing any new uh-huh. construction, other than the uh-huh. tents and palisades, obviously, but I mean, none of that, yes. n- no newer stonework or anything. Um, so all of the construction that we're able to see here is from the old Angmar before the down, the first downfall of Angmar, so hundreds of years before. Um under the witch king himself, so that the witch king was establishing this that that it's are we to understand that it's actually kind of a memory of Gondor or a parody of gondor or a, it, it, a, a deliberate uh, yeah it's echo? either
1: it's either similar to Gondor like you know they came from the same place had the same roots same architectural styles and technological advances or Mm -hmm. it does remind me a bit of you know Tolkien's comment that evil can never create it can only ape Right. right you know even if this was a kingdom. But you have to imagine it, though, before this horrible, you know, greasy patina set in, before the right. stone became right. all moldy and thing. This would have been a, a shining white courtyard with silver right. well, tops right. on everything.
0: Right. Though the top part might have been black, however. I mean, it well, might have been black it, it was, and white. Well, not,
1: okay, not silver, but definitely shining, shining you know, gun medley.
0: Right, gunmetal uh, I can would- see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, Forthalus, I'm not imagining the Witch King living here prior to his corruption. It would have been after his corruption. <laughs> yes. Um, It would have been built by the Witch King as the Witch King when he's setting... So it would have to be a parody. It'd have to be a mockery or at least, a, I mean, maybe even some kind of... I don't know what, longing imitation of or something.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, or a reward for his loyal subjects. Remember, they would want to, you know, he'd want to reward right. his, the people who are faithful to them with nice apartments and beautiful courtyards and sparkling fountains.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And Emethorn, was this part of the Northern Kingdom? I don't think we've seen any evidence of that. There's nothing Rudauran about it, for sure. No, there's no. we haven't seen anything here, any stonework or anything, any ruins. Um, we haven't seen a single Numenorean star anywhere since we came to Angmar. Um, yeah. Uh, as you say, nothing even Rudauran. That was all south of here. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, this is cool. I had, I I didn't even notice this tree before. That was, I literally just noticed it as we were coming in from the outside there. Every Um,
1: time I've been in this area, I've been running with a crowd of 50 angmar behind me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's true. I have never had the leisure before of just standing here in the courtyard and imagining what this must have looked like 500 years before. Um, Yeah. 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 yeah, no, uh, brick tales. We don't know anything about where the Witch King came from originally. Um, we know that three of the Nazgul were Numenorians, um, originally you know came from Numenorian blood, but that's all we know. We're um, you know we're, we're we're told very little about the backstory uh, of the Nazgul, uh, and in particular I mean, can- of the Witch King.
1: We could always make a guess that the Witch King was a black Numenorian, but...
0: Yeah, we could guess, but we're not even told that much for sure. Um, yeah. So, uh... Well, and
1: that is that is a question. Is this aping maybe not Gondor, but Numenor? But
0: Numenor itself, yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I was just thinking the same thing. Um, so that... They
1: like the tall towers. <laughs> Right, that'd be
0: great yeah. to survive a flood in. Yeah, exactly. Ah, so that was so, so we've got a little like a uh, little pseudo mental tarma over here, right? The thing <laughs> yeah. in the south, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it wouldn't be an imitation of Gondor, as you say. It would bear this just as the 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 um, you know the tree and the courtyard in Minas Tirith is a memory of Gondor of of Numenor. So this would be a memory of Numenor. If the Witch King were Numenorian.
1: And, and of course, Tinedir is also sort of a, a version and, you know, yes. a, assumed to be yes. a copy of Numenor. So we're seeing everyone's interpretations of a white shining city.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. Um, so what was this called? Balrova is what this place is called? Okay. Um, yeah. And I wonder... This seems like it was probably beachfront. Also, thinking of deer. <laughs> right? Beachfront property. This was beachfront property. If we go back outside, our uh, and then, that also
1: explains that random sinkhole,
0: <laughs> right? Because see, right here, like immediately outside these walls, is down into the lower terrain, which is wet and one could easily imagine, may once have been wetter than it currently is.
1: I also like how they sort of mimic the salt deposits you'd see on a dried-up
0: seabed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, um... Okay. Anyway, we'll go down to the dried-up seabed next time. So... Yeah, I think so. And I should should let everybody go, because it's super late. Um, Yeah, it is. Okay, so... um, Thank you all for joining me. Let's not forget, now, I think we have we have come to the end. So by next week's field trip, we're going to have to cross the, or uh, I believe we'll be crossing the uh-huh. boundaries. The Watchers. Yeah, the Watchers. Yeah. Um, so you do have to pick up the epic quest line and do a couple of the epic quests in order to get book past. Book six. Uh, yeah, book
1: six. Book six starts in Esteldin.
0: <clears throat> starts in Esteldin. I think you might be able to pick up the... Uh, quest from uh, what's his name uh, coroner up in uh, no no you have Ang- to get you, you have, to have to get the in, intro for you okay.
1: have to start it in escaldi and I've, i spent so many times running around okay <laughs> oh looking for coroner
0: okay all right so pick it up in escaldi and uh, which server are we on next
1: let me see i did have that open and i closed it <laughs> <laughs> story of my life
0: Let's
1: see. Do do do
0: Uh Landerval. Landerval, okay. All right. We're on Landerval <laughs> next week. Whew, that'll be a little all bit right. easier. Okay. Yeah, just awesome. a bit. <laughs> so Landreval next time, and we'll be going past the watchers. Probably at least we're coming right up to the very brink of it here, so we should be prepared for that. Um Alright. So thanks everybody for joining us, and we will see you guys next week. Bye everybody. Bye.